This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Crange Lanza. As always, the king of banter, a very good family man, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? Voice cracked a little there. You're like, welcome once again to the Voice of Wrestling. Oh, did it? Yeah. We're going to leave that in there, though. Oh, well, puberty. Rich voice cracking me. I, I don't think I've had a voice crack ever on the show, have I? You're gonna look through your mother's uh Victoria's Secret catalogs, uh <laughs> Sears with Sears catalogs, yeah. yeah for the brazier section, right? <laughs> when we're at Target, I'm gonna I'm gonna divert myself over to the uh the underwear and bra section just just to see, you know, what's going on. That's... Yeah, listen, that's taking it to an extra creepy level, but that listen look, teenagers going through puberty gotta do what they gotta do. So no, absolutely. Uh, got to got to get it where you can get it. I mean, that man, I always think about that. Like, and you're obviously in a different era. You were a teenager in the '60s, so it's a whole different animal there. Uh, but I, you know, obviously it was in the '90s and the early 2000s, really, I should say. And it was like, you know, it's a little tougher to 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 find what you needed to find. Like nowadays, it's all for you, man. Like it, you you can't even. I, I don't know, like high speed internet, port. I mean, you're you're ready to go. Oh yeah, if you're if you're 14 years old now. I mean, you like, just I would be a-, a maniac, right? Like you would be an idiot. Like I had to like download Sable in Playboy, and it took like forty five minutes. And I was like, oh wow, those are boobs. And that's like, and I was like, cool. All right, that was it. Like that, and now now it's like at the fingertips. Like, what do I want to watch? Cool, I'm into anal. Boom, there we go. Like, I like, maniac. What would you be at a fourteen? Like, can you imagine Joe Lands at fourteen in two thousand nineteen? Well, when I was about sixteen, I definitely jacked it to an episode of WCW Main Event to <laughs> to. To Missy Hyatt, who was co-hosting the show. Wow. So every time they did every every time they did like a bumper before or after the commercials, I'd get in a couple strokes for you know fifteen seconds before they went. <laughs> well, because you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to be doing it while the matches are going on. That's no. Like- I'm, listen, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it to like Joe Gomez first. <laughs> yeah, that's some Ron Simmons match. I mean, you know. It, <laughs> It would, you know, so whenever oh, Missy would come on. Full disclosure, we're recording this at, uh, it's 941 on a Friday, if you're wondering why we're getting blue already off the bat. But. Because this is normally when the third hour is occurring. So, right. you know, you wait for Missy and those enormous jugs to come on the screen. And when you're a teenager, you love nothing more than a pair of enormous jugs. I mean, that's oh, what you want to see yeah, when you're sure. 16. So, you know, that's how it was, you know, and, and I guess Jim Ross may have been the co-host. I definitely – he wasn't helping matters. But, um, but yeah, so I'd wait patiently, and then, uh, you know, I that was I, – I distinctly remember doing that one day. So that's how it happened for me pre-internet. Now you just got to grab your phone, and like you said, all your fetishes are a fingertip away. I don't know how many fetishes of a 14-year-old is or 15-year-old is developed. But you yet. would develop. I feel like you would develop more, right? 
Yeah, it's just taking everybody down a terrible path. Let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> I don't it, disagree. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's like, but but then again, I mean, we did the same shit. I mean, I used to steal my father's VHS out of his terrible hiding spot, and as, as soon as my parents left the house, I'd run to those porn <laughs> VHS, throw them in the VCR, figure out exactly how long they were going to be gone. But then, see, here's the key with the VHS, Rich. You got to rewind them right back to the exact point that you're following. Oh, he would know. He'd be like, no, no, no. This is not the spot where I ended it. Yeah, that's. So you got to either remember the scene or an advanced technique. You use the counter. No one ever used the counter on a VCR except when they were rewinding porn so their parents didn't know that you watched the porn. So you just slap reset on that counter and then you know you just got to rewind that fucker back to, to the triple zeros and you're good. That was the technique if you wanted to watch your parents' porn. Do you, do you really think he would have noticed that that wasn't where he left off? Like, how often was he using the VHS to know that? No, 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 no. Joe, little Joey must have done. Oh, what did he do right here? This is not where I left it off. Do you think that he would have been that well, conscious I mean, of it? It was always in a different spot when I got to it. So, you know, it's kind of yeah. weird to think about in hindsight. Like, you and your dad are fapping off to the same porn. Oh, Jesus Christ. But um, you're not but in the in the moment you're not thinking about that. You're just a horny teenager. Right. You know, so this is some start. Um should we just stop and restart this? <laughs> absolutely not. This has okay. to go out to the masses. Okay. This is some late night action. Oh, some late night flagship. Hour All right, one. I gotta I do have to ask this too. As if, while we're while we're this is the hour one that we're doing and a loaded show with tons to talk about. Um, I have not listened to the Thursday tea reviews, but the comment section and our Twitter mentions after that show, I, I what in God's name were you talking about on that that Thursday TV reviews? Well, Rich, for five dollars a month, you can go to patreon.com slash voices wrestling, slap play on this week's Thursday TV reviews, hmm. and see okay. exactly what everybody was talking about. Let's just say I had a little mishap, which I described to the audience and used as a nice transition to talk about a Samir Singh match. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So the, the comments just to give people an idea of what, to, what you can expect here. And I'm, I, I guess I like to sell though. You're going to make me listen to it. I appreciate it. Uh, fuck Joe. Fuck <laughs> shitting on my bathroom. Fucking floor. I'd be down for some Thursday shit reviews. Great transition from literal shit to the Sig brothers. And then Denise Sarway says, it was Christy Hemme who was stalking Sam Shaw. <laughs> They're like, well, yeah, because in, in the mess of all this shit talk, <laughs> Denise gave you like an actual answer to, hey, it was Christy Hemme that Sam Shaw was trying to stalk. <laughs> yeah, because in the midst of all that, I'm trying to review this Dexter Limus match from NXT. And uh, I couldn't remember who uh, the former Samuel Shaw had stalked on Impact Wrestling. And I was stammering like an idiot, and I wasn't able to think of it. And um, I didn't even know how to Google that. Like, how do I even Google that? Like, if you Google who did Sam Shaw stalk on Impact Wrestling, are you going to get that result? Let's see. Who did Sam Shaw stalk on Impact Wrestling? Let's see if it comes up. Uh, okay, it'd be a little bit. Yeah, yeah, about third result there. You get so it. you be able but, to find it? Okay. Yeah, but that's fine. You were a fan of Sam Shaw and his serial killer character, right? I like the Sam Shaw. Yeah, I liked, I liked his Twitter account and stuff. It was pretty good. You know, where's your location? Anytime anybody would tweet at him, he would ask where their location was. Where's your location? The garrot wire. He was threatening to choke people out with garrot wires. Um, you know, he probably would be suspended if he tried that on Twitter now. We're going back to like 2014. But, 
you will enjoy Dexter Lemus. Have you seen the Dexter uh, Lemus? Uh, I haven't. No, I know he's in the uh, the, the prospect tournament or whatever the hell they're calling that. Uh, the tournament with all the guys and the weird names that I don't <laughs> remember. Yes. DJZ is Jaquim or whatever the hell William Regal called it, Phoenix or whatever. So yeah, I got, I, I, I'm a little bit back on uh, behind on NXT. I do need to check that out pretty soon though. Excuse me, sir. It's Jaquim Wild. Okay, Not that's Jaquin right, Jaquim Wild. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Dexter Lemus is basically Sam Shaw who uh, has taken his vitamins in the ensuing years. He's uh, very jacked, uh, Dexter Lemus now, but it's the same exact character, and he's got serial killer music. So, uh, okay. I, yeah, I, uh, I think you should check it out. Um, yeah, one more, one more comment, too. is a bit off topic, but the Gable-Gallagher rematch was awesome and worth the wait. I love how that is off topic. <laughs> hey, Joe, sorry to distract. <laughs> yeah, sorry to distract. But there's a good wrestling match. <laughs> right. That person came in to discuss the wrestling and felt like they were off topic. So it was a wild show. All you need to know about the Thursday tier review yeah, this week is. Yeah. Oh God. Also on the Patreon, we should mention as well, G1 daily updates. So make sure you subscribe and patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. Do that. All right. And business here. Oh, boys, go ahead. And boys of summer on the Patreon. That's true. And. All Japan Pro Wrestling Junior Tag Team Battle of Glory. <laughs> yeah, you're, an idiot. you're so dumb. Why are you doing that? People want more pro coverage, and I'm giving it to them. The Junior Tag Again. Team Battle of Glory deserves coverage, and it's getting it. So that's why. Daily coverage of that tournament as well, just like the G1. How am I going to do it? I don't know, but I'm going to get it done. All right, what do you got, Rich? <laughs> All right, let's get to it here. Sorry, I kicked over a fan. There we go. That sounds better. All right, and they might hear a fan in the background. It's like 95 degrees in this room. I'm sorry. I have a fan going. So anyway, got too much going on this week. Let's get right down to it. We got AEW's Fight for the Fall, and we got Extreme Rules, Evolve 131, G1 Climax re- coverage, recap, everything that's been going on so far in that. Kobe Worlds this weekend. It's just been an insane, another just absolutely insane wrestling week. Uh, but we do have to start out with AEW Fight for the Fall and AEW's third show, from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, obviously, follow up to Double or Nothing Fighter Fest. This one comes only two weeks after Fighter Fest, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I think that may have caused a, a little bit of issues along the way in terms of stories and in terms of maybe attendance and and, and buzz and all that sort of stuff. But uh, overall thoughts uh, on AEW Fight for the Fall, and we should mention as well this review is sponsored by our friends at Grapple as well. G R A P P L. Uh, is the app. We're going to talk about that a little bit as we're kind of going through this review, but uh, you can go on there and download it today on iOS or Android, and it is available. Uh, it's a great app, so you can go on and uh, review matches. So you can give a little star ratings. You can see what Joe and I rated certain matches, and uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. So G-R-A-P-P-L, we're getting a lot of people uh, talking about it in our, you know, not only just like behind the scenes of VOW, but I know fans as well. People listen to the show uh, have been using Grapple, really enjoying it, following us, rating matches, going back and looking historically. Tons of different promotions on there. We'll talk about it throughout the show here. But uh, this particular review, though, sponsored by our friends at Grapple, G-R-A-P-P-L. All right. Um, Fire for the Fallen. Overall thoughts before we kind of go uh, uh, match by match here and, 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 and talk about some big picture stuff with AEW as well. Um, Easily my least favorite of the three shows that they've had so far, I think as a total package, I enjoyed the show overall, but there were a lot of things about the show that I did not like that. Obviously we're going to break down here. And I think the one, the, the, the biggest critique is the show was too long. And I think just about every match was too long and this wasn't timed. Well, the main event, 
had no reason to go 31 minutes. The main event could have been half the time, two-thirds of the time easily. Um, you know, once they went over 30, I think they may as well have just gone 60 since they were teasing going 60 anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, the main event was way too long. But that, was, that wasn't the only, you know, I, I think every single match on this show could have had a few minutes shaved, and there was no reason this needed to be three and a half hours. Absolutely, yeah, and that, I'm, I'm, it's going to get annoying to do it every single match, so I'm just going to get it out of the way now and just <laughs> not to keep bringing it up, but yeah, absolutely. When I was done with the show, the only thing I could think of was the timing of this and who's ever... I, nothing, this didn't need to be three and a half hours, and there's so many matches that would have been so much better with, honestly, not even like five minutes cut off, some like legit ten. Like Adam Page and Kip Saving, we're going to talk about. Like legitimately, you could have cut ten minutes off that match and gotten it better. Uh, you know, Brandy and Allie does not need to go eleven minutes. I mean, the opener at thirteen is probably okay. I didn't mind that. Uh, the Dark Order match. I mean, that was another one. The three way tag match with Dark Order and Hillico, Jack Evans, and and uh, you know, Boy and His Dinosaur. That one went about fifteen, but you know, it, it, at times too, it felt like we were in our seventh hot tag comeback sequence, and you're like, all right, like let's go then, like whatever. And then of course the main event, I I, I think really stood out as as a match that. Just absolutely did not need to be as long as it was, especially when you're you're building towards hot tags and you build two you know two or three different hot tag sequences in one match. That's when you've kind of went a little overboard. And the other thing too with, with with that main event, I think if everything else had been structured to go a little bit quicker throughout the show, then I could maybe stomach a longer, more epic, you know, big time sort of like it, it kind of felt like a long NWA style main event. I get it, but the problem was after so many other matches seemed to overstay their welcome that when you have the main event overstaying its welcome as much as it did and and we heard from people that were were there live too that like the humidity and the heat it was starting to wear people down after a while they're outside in jacksonville florida in july and it's like four and a half hours into the show and these people have been here for you know five six hours because they had to get in watch pre-show and do all that sort of stuff so by the time this main event's going 30 minutes it's hard to really get excited about the third hot tag that's going on in this main event match so that really i think dragged it down a bit i like the match overall and i like the show overall but like you said it's definitely of the three i think definitively the 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 dead last for me uh, out of those three with Double or Nothing and, and, and Fighterfish, which I thought were exceptional shows all around. And this one I enjoyed. I didn't hate that I watched it, but I felt that there was th- there were some issues. There was definitely some issues that, that popped up. Yeah, that's it, it. Yeah, I enjoyed it and I did not hate that I watched it. That's as far as I'll go. I, I can't. But but the, the, the thing about the main event is I was on my way to gushing about the main event because I love the way that they laid out the first two thirds of the main event. First, you had the long heat segment on the Rhodes Brothers. And then, you know, they get their hot tag. And then they do a second heat segment with Matt Jackson, where he's selling for an extended period of time and building to a hot tag to Nick Jackson. But once he made that hot tag, the match should have hit the finish right Right. there. Mm -hmm. Whoever's going to win is going to win. But then they went into this weird third act of the match, which was just a sloppy spot fest where everybody was just doing shit which totally ran counter to the first two-thirds of the match, which were a well-structured, old-school, Southern-style tag team match, which is what I thought they were going for. And then it's almost like this match was almost a microcosm of all of the problems that AEW is having in that you feel like AEW is booked by four different people. I feel like this match was booked by... Yeah, you, you can know, definitely feel that, like, you know, Cody and and I assume Dustin had a little input, booked, like, the first 20 minutes, and then the last 13 or whatever were, like, the Bucks. Because it, it did feel like that one hot tag happened, and then you kind of, like, 
opened your eyes and it was an entirely different match. It was just guys doing shit back and forth, which is fine. I like guys doing shit and I like Southern tags, but I don't like guys doing shit and Southern tags in the same match. That's 31 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> and, it went, and it went too long and it totally lost me at that point. And I think it lost most people when the first two thirds of the match I thought were excellent. So, and it just, um, it just went far too long. Like most of the stuff did on this show. And, um, you know, you mentioned the Adam Page Kip Sabian match before. I mean, look, why is Adam Page going 19 minutes with Kip Sabian? Dude, team? I have this is this is classic overthinking by AEW. And I know that AEW, which is I, it, in one sense, it's admirable because they don't want to have guys lose via nefarious means. They don't want guys losing because somebody threw in a chair or somebody distracted them or someone gra- screwed over the referee and all this. I get that. They want to have clean finishes and clean wins or whatever. But now I think they're overthinking a little bit because I think you and I had the same thought when we were kind of talking about this off air a little bit is that throughout this match, I'm basically thinking, okay, Jericho's totally beating this guy and they want this guy to have some credibility going into Jericho beating him by saying his, his knees shot and, oh my God, he fought valiantly and oh my, he's trying to fight through injury and all that sort of stuff. I, I feel like that is what they're going for, the goal there. W- would you agree that this is sort of in the, some ways, foreshadowing Jericho winning, and they needed to protect Page somehow. Yeah, quote unquote, to, protect. To me, it's blatantly obvious that the Adam Page knee stuff is his out for when he loses right. to Jericho. But to me, that's just overthinking. You just, just have you know, have Adam Page go in there and beat the fuck out of Kip Sabian. Kip Sabian will be fine. Nobody cares if Adam Page beats Kip Sabian in eight minutes. You know, easily he can he can have the hurt knee. He can sell Rich, it. But he Rich. still beats the guy in eight minutes. Who fucking cares? Not Kip only Sabian. Not only would nobody care, that's the right thing to do. Right. And, and, but now it's like now, and the problem with this, especially is, you know, in one sense, you have, okay, so you have Adam Page beat Kip Saban in eight minutes. He's got the knee issue or whatever. He goes in there. He, he fights, he fights, he, fights, he just loses to Jericho. It's fine. It's Chris Jericho. I, I don't think anybody would go, oh, geez, well, this guy's dead now. Oh, God, Adam Page is, is done. But now, like, because they overthink this a little bit, and this is classic, you know, wrestling companies do this all the time. We talk about it with WWE all the time, just way overthinking it and, and, and trying to protect people so much that you end up not getting guys over. But now Adam Page looks like an absolute geek. He goes 19 minutes with an undercard guy that he should have beaten in five minutes. And then he gets his ass kicked by Jericho afterwards. And it's like, then he's going to lose it all out. And it's like, all right, this guy's just a big loser. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't feel hot at all. And that's not just you and I talking about it. In the building, you could feel it. Uh, you know, it's been written about everywhere else. I've seen even Dave Meltzer talk about it. Like, everybody's saying that, like, man, this guy's, like, going to be your challenging for your world title in, like, a month. And he feels as cold as humanly possible. And it's all because they just got a little too cute and overthought this. Just, it's not that hard. He beats Kip Sabian, and he goes in it all out. And if he loses to Chris Jericho, he loses to Chris Jericho. It's fine. Whatever. But it, it's because they're not going to do cheap finishes. They want to protect dudes. But I, I just think there's too much, too much thought going into this thing. Just, just keep it simple. I don't even mind the knee story, but that he can still beat Kip Sabian. He should still beat Kip Sabian in nine minutes with a bum knee. Yes, and you can and you can emphasize that he beat Kip Sabian so easily while on a bum knee, and you can still get the knee story over because it's Kip Sabian. What you shouldn't do is treat him like he's on the same level as Kip Sabian, have him go twenty minutes with him, and struggle to get past him. That's a mistake. I don't mind the knee story at all. I don't mind using the knee as, an, as, as his out for when he loses to Jericho. I think that's actually a pretty good story. The problem I have here is he should have beaten Kip Sabian in six minutes. Six K, Kip Sabian should have gotten one you know, brief comeback that gets cut off, and Page just beats him definitively in the middle. And he can still limp around while he's doing it, if that's the story you want to tell. In fact, that makes him look even like more of a badass, that he beat the shit out of this guy and beat him quite handily while with, you know, with one leg. 
But Chris, and then you could, you know, tell the story. But Chris Jericho, that's a whole nother deal. This guy's a, you know, a former world champion, but it's not going to be this easy, especially on one leg. You can still tell that knee story. This was horrible. And this, I think, has him going into that match with Jericho super cold. And I don't think they got it back later with the angle where they did the big pull apart. It just, the damage was done. Uh, you know, he won a geek battle Royal. He was in a six man tag and you could actually forgive those two things and forget about them. If this was their chance to make them look strong. Yeah. And if you're going to book them against Kip Sabian, which I wouldn't have done at least have him look great against a guy at the level of Kip Sabian. And don't worry about Kip Sabian. Even if you like Kip Sabian, which I'm not sure that they, even if you like Kip Sabian as a future guy, which I'm not sure that they do, it's still, you can still, because you have plenty of time to push Kip Sabian. Right. No one's going to, if in five months you decide Kip Sabian's going to go for your, your mid-card title or, or, or whatever, no one is going to remember that Adam Page beat him in nine minutes seven months ago. You, you know, no one's going to care. They, they won't once you establish his push. Right. It's all behind him at that point. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, and I'm not going to sit here and claim, because I didn't say it last week, so I got to be fair, because I thought of it during the show. Page probably should have faced Shima instead of Sabian, especially if this was going to be the kind of match it was. Because Shima has more credibility. Shima's a guy who was undefeated in AEW coming into the match. He just won a singles match against Christopher Daniels, who's over like a motherfucker in the right. company. It's a good veteran test, too. He beat one of the legends of you know Japanese wrestling or whatever. You know, there, there's ways to sell that. On a bad leg, right? So it's like that would have been a much better opponent for him. Now, I get it. You had to sell tickets, and Kenny Omega versus Shima was one of the... I think it was the very first match they announced for this show. I believe that's correct. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Because they didn't announce the main event until after the Cody-Dustin match. So it's like, I I understand that Omega-Shima was a match that they felt like was, you know, a money match, semi-main event level match that, you know, a dream match that people had never seen before. And they are kind of trying to appeal to a hardcore audience to some extent. So I get it. So I don't know what you do with Omega in that case. But I think you could do pretty much anything else with Kenny Omega. I mean, you could have given him a different... The point here is I think Shima would have been a better opponent for what they did. If he was going to wrestle Sabian, though, what they did was an absolute mistake. And I'll tell you this too, Rich. The positioning on the card didn't help. Because it wasn't a bad match. Was it badly structured? Absolutely. Should they have laid it out the way they did? No way. But the work itself was fine. The problem also with this was it was after that red-hot three-way tag where Luchasaurus got over like a motherfucker. Oh, my God. Star. Fucking star Luchasaurus, man. Jesus. So that that they had this hot, crazy spot fest three-way tag that had the place going nuts. And then you're following that with this slow leg match that goes 20 minutes. That's just a poor layout. And the people running that company should be too smart for that. This match, you know when they should have put on Adam Page, Kip Sabian, right after Brandy Rhodes and Alley, Because that would have been the perfect spot. And it wouldn't have had to follow some red hot. You don't want to put it after the six man because that was the same style. You don't want to put it after the three way tag. You don't want to put it after Lucha Brothers SCU. You're going to go Kenny Omega semi and Young Bucks main. I get it. So the Page Kip Sabian match should have been right after that Brandy Rhodes Alley match. And it would have at least had a chance to have gotten over better, especially since they knew the way that the match was going to be structured. That what may have been an even bigger mistake than laying out the match the way they did, because then at least people, you know, may have may have got had a chance to get into it. But they, you know, you just saw this crazy three way tag, 
And you know you got these three highly anticipated matches coming afterwards. Match didn't stand a chance. No, it, it died a death. And you talked about it too. I think what, what I found most kind of infuriating about this is, is that it went 1905 is the official time. Well, they were talking about the 20-minute time limit. And like they were making it known to the crowd and, and to the audience and the announcers. Oh, my God, we're right up against the time limit. Can Adam Page get it done? And then he, it, it wasn't like they went up to it and he got it done a second before. But they're like, oh, my God, can he do it? And then he did it. But it was almost like the way that they did it, it was even worse. Like I, I almost would have minded – even less if in seven, it took him way longer than he needed to. But in 17 minutes, Adam Page put over Kip Saving. But instead, you have like announcements to the crowd of like, oh, one minute remaining. And the announcers go, oh my God, one minute remaining. Oh my God, he's only got one minute to do this. And then like Page just beats him right, right after they make that announcement. And it's like, oh, all right, dude, like why did you almost have to go to the limit? Because I don't think it would have been as much of a, there's kind of a feel when it's like, oh shit, you're up against the time limit against this guy. Like, what are you doing? Whereas, like, if he just beat him in 15 or 16 or 17 or whatever minutes, it would have just been like, ah, oh, Jesus, it took you way too long to beat that guy, but whatever you did it. But this was like Adam Page survived under the bell. Like he just barely got it done. And it's just like, is that how we really want to build this guy? Is like that he just barely got it done with you know 55 seconds left on the clock? Like, what what are we doing? Yeah, and the other thing about that is Kip Sabian was all wrong for that role anyway, because he's not over. You know, people don't know who he is yet. He wrestled one pre-show match against Sammy Guevara two shows ago. And you're putting him in a position here to take your world title challenger to the absolute limit when he isn't over. Following that hot match on top of it. So the Adam Page-Kip Sabian thing to me was uh, easily the biggest whiff on the entire show. Um, just it, it, it's other than, you know, just the fundamental work of the match being solid because they both wrestled well and they both, you know, uh, they told the story of the match. I mean, they executed it fine. It was just the wrong story at the wrong time with the wrong people. So um, we didn't like that. What are some things we did like? <laughs> yeah, some stuff I, I, I did like. I mentioned Luchasaurus. I thought he was awesome. Uh, the Jungle Boy Luchasaurus team is fucking great. The uh, Boy and his Dinosaur, they yeah. they got something there. That's one of those organic things that, like, I know that they're smart enough to realize what they have. I hope that they pounce on it. I don't know what you exactly do. But, like, Luchasaurus was a guy that – and I remember in a and a a few months ago, someone said, oh, can, can Luchasaurus become one of AEW's biggest stars? And I was like – I was like, I don't think so. His name is Luchasaurus, and he's like this big dude. But, you know, like it just seemed kind of weird. The aesthetics seemed kind of weird. But then uh, you go over it in your head, and you realize that like a lot of the top stars in wrestling, if you describe them at their barest, it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of stupid. Like, yeah, that guy shouldn't get over. Like Hulk Hogan's in, uh, the weirdest. He's like a the bald dude with a blonde Fu Manchu. That like you know, like he shouldn't be over. You know, if it's fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. Like you just go over these guys, and you realize not that I'm comparing Luchasaurus to these guys, but you don't really quite realize. It's like, well, those guys become stars, and then that just becomes a thing. You, you know what I mean? Like, so the idea that Luchasaurus couldn't become a star because he was what he was, I, I, as I thought that at the time. But man, they, they got something with this guy, and I, I'm sure there's going to have to be a little bit of refinement to get them where they are. But like, this is a dude that I put, I, I, I circle, I do something, I say, okay, crowds are reacting to this guy. Let's not fight against this. Let's find out a way uh, to, to, to make you know to capitalize on this. And I'm not saying that you know he becomes the champion or he places Adam Page or whatever. But the boy in his dinosaur, that, I mean, that's something you can really start building, and I think that's a great way to start building them and build that tag division, get him out there, and then when that ends up 
done, then he can move on to the next level. But this is a guy to to definitely protect as much as you can because he's getting over and he's the crowd's been attracted to him so far. And and he's sticking out and, and he looks like a million bucks in this show too because he's just giant and he's just throwing guys around. So there's a lot they can do with him. But I was super impressed by him and, and Jungle Boy too. I think Jungle Boy uh, definitely speaks for himself too. This tag team is is is, is definitely working. No, he was over like a motherfucker, and there's something there. And it's just, look, this may not work in, like, it's like certain gimmicks, they'll work in one place and they won't work in another, and you can't explain why. And for whatever reason, it just seems like this Luchasaurus thing, which is utterly ridiculous and shouldn't work, it works in this environment. It works in the AEW environment. That's all that really matters. Maybe it would work in WWE, maybe it wouldn't. It probably wouldn't work in New Japan. Um, it definitely wouldn't work in like all Japan, um, you know. But it, it works here, and I think you know that's all that matters. And adding Marco Stunt to the act, I mean, I can do without him, but Absolutely. I get it. <laughs> I mean, I get it though. It like I understand that it kind of does. Again, that honestly, that might be Marco Stunt's best role. Absolutely. Like the third wheel in this act. Well, and you know what it does too? And and, and this is the thing that some wrestling promoters were never good at. I mean, the, the, the famous example that everybody brings up and, and, and definitely works the best is when they brought Mike Awesome into WCW and the first feud he has is with Kevin Nash. And it's like, well, he's shorter than Kevin Nash. So it's like you immediately got – but the idea is if you put Marco Sutton in Jungle Boy with Luchasaurus, Luchasaurus looks like a fucking monster. He's right. so huge. He's, he's carrying these two men on his shoulders. And it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, those two men are like very small men. And Luchasaurus is a big dude, but those guys are just so small that it makes him look he looks like he's seven foot four you know i mean he looks like he's 350 pounds and and seven foot four and in in reality you know he's what like six four six five or whatever he's still a big dude and he's you know 230 or whatever but the idea is is, i love the aesthetics of putting him with a marco and a jungle boy because those guys are so small and it just it makes him look even bigger and it makes him come off across as like that much of a bigger deal. And that's smart there. That, that's a super smart idea versus having Luchasaurus up against, you know, whoever, uh, you know, having him, you know, team with a guy who's who's taller than him and bigger than him and then try to put it over that Luchasaurus is the big deal. It's like, well, no, no. I mean, the guy next to him is just as big as him, whereas this, I think, works. So I, I, I think, A, that is probably the best role for Marco Stunt because we don't need Marco Stunt in a lot of other big time roles. And B, I do think that helps Luchasaurus too. So that's a smart idea by them. I think it's an act as a whole that could appeal to kids, which is important. While at the same time, Luchasaurus can appeal to adults and adult males. Cause he kicks ass. Right. I mean, he looked great in the match. And I think what you do with this act is, you know, there'll, there'll be a popular mid card act. I think people are going to push for them to be pushed too fast, too soon. You shouldn't do that. You have them as a popular mid card act and you wait until you're ready to truly do something with Jungle Boy. And then Luchasaurus turns on both of them, and you've got yourself a killer heel. And then you've got another six months of stories where, you know, Jungle Boy and to a lesser extent Marco Stunt are feuding with, you know, their former pal who turned and that'll get mega heat. If you if you lay it out right and you do it at the right time, Luchasaurus turning heel on those guys is and and and, and, and ideally he would be, you know, uh, a heel challenger to whoever the babyface champion is at that time. I know I'm thinking like five steps ahead, but you know I'm just thinking in my head what I would do with this guy. I'd have a 24 month plan coming off this show for how this is all going to play out, and I'd say by no more than 18 months he needs to turn heel on these two guys, and you have to have Jungle Boy ready to be on his own and do whatever you're going to do with him because he's not ready yet. But they definitely have something with Luchasaurus. What they don't have something in is the Dark Order. Oh dear God. It's not working. God. It's not going to work. 
I don't, and this is a good test on a couple different fronts because they're obviously friends with the Bucks. Okay, that's why they're here. Brought these guys in. They've wrestled them many years ago, a million times, and all that. And it just this was an idea that probably looked good on paper, and it just is not working. We're three shows in. No, it's not just that nobody cares. It's that people actively don't like this, but they're too polite to boo it. Because everyone who goes to these shows just want to be positive, and they want they're, they're rallying behind the team, and they want all this to work. Okay, you know what AEW fans are, Rich? They're polite ECW fans because ECW fans were all about rallying around the team, and we are the we're the you know we're the we're the third option. We are uh, we're, we're different. We're underground, yeah. We're, we're we're underground. We're the alternative, and that it's the same vibe. Except ECW fans, when something was shit, yeah. If you fucking sucked, they let you know you fucking sucked. They would let you know it was shit, and then Paul Heyman would be smart enough to either pivot that into good heat or just can the act entirely. Okay? We, this is a good test case to see because these AEW fans, they're simply polite ECW fans. And they're not going to shit on this, but they've spoken with their silence when it comes to this and the librarians. And it's a good test case to see if, if they can, you know, make a hard decision and either downgrade that because it's clear that they're getting a huge tag team push but they shouldn't it's not going to catch on so will they move them down the card will they make them go away for a little while and just repackage them uh will they pivot away from this and honestly i think they're going to be stubborn and dig their heels in. I, yeah i don't think they're going to i think they're going to win that tag tournament i mean i think that's the way this is setting up you know and and um it's unfortunate because it just isn't working. And, you know, you had Angelico and Jack Evans in this match. They're just a team on the they're roster. Fine. And they're and yeah, they're, they're fine. just there. They're, I'm fine with them. They're depth, but that's it. Yeah. That's all they need to be. They're depth. And Jack Evans is great. And Angelico, I mean, I've said it before, but there's not a wrestler on the planet who has gotten more mileage out of one spot in his entire <laughs> life. I mean, I know. The guy he's dove off one balcony. <laughs> and it was great the next spot. six years because of And it. he had me convinced he was the next big I thought he was great too. Yeah. And Lucha Underground did a good job with him for a little while too. I thought he was the shit. And it's just like eh, just he's, not very good. He's just a dude. You know, just a guy. They're a depth team. So uh so that was a weird match, and it's like they should have called an audible. You know what I mean? It's like Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus should have won that match, but they're gonna stick to their booking plans. And it's going to come down very likely to Dark Order and Best Friends and because that's the program they've set up. And it is what it is. But, you know, I see a lot more in Luchasaurus and I see a lot more in Private Party. And, uh, you know, it's good that Private Party didn't have a match, but they still managed to get them on camera to keep them fresh in everybody's yeah. mind. Mm-hmm. They had them sitting in the crowd, like, watching the matches or scouting or whatever it was that they were doing. Um, so... Yeah, but uh, so let's talk about the rest of the matches. I guess we can um, start at the top and talk about the matches we didn't talk about yet. Um, well, actually, first, let's talk about, okay, so about 5,000 fans in the building, very close to a sellout. 
according to the observer, they did open up some more seats after the production was set up. And so there were a couple hundred seats that were unsold. But Rich, you have a problem with the number of tickets they sold. They did a good job here. I think they did a good job. I think the arena looked really good, too. I like the setup uh, production of it. We'll we'll talk a little bit about the commentary as we go on because I have some thoughts on the commentary. But uh, no, I thought this was a really cool venue. I love different cool venues for wrestling like this is something that 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 you know i saw a little bit of criticism of oh the entrance ramp is here and it's a little off center and all that. I, I i don't care man i love just stuff that looks different aesthetically just looks unique and not like everything you're gonna see because every wwe show and it's not really wwe's fault at this point because every basketball arena looks exactly the same now it's the same shit with the stripe like you said and the two three decks and i, I mean there's nothing much you can do it doesn't help that they use the same set for every single show, but like it is what it is. That's what they do. And then you see a lot of indies have kind of just fallen into looking all the same and everybody, this guy, everything's kind of has the same colors and the same lighting, and all that sort of stuff. And they run the same sort of style buildings. It was awesome to see this in like this outdoor, you know, music venue. It was just a really, really cool place for, for a show. So it reminded me a lot of, of, uh, you know, like the early 1995 WCW, the night, you know, the nitro WCW, when they would just run weird venues, they'd run a mall of America or run some outdoor thing or have a pay-per-view on a beach or something like that. I like those ideas. I like those things that are kind of unique. You know, 5,000 paid is, is nothing to scoff at. That's a pretty big pretty big deal, especially two weeks after, you know, Fighter Fest. I, 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 so I would call it a thumbs up for sure. No, this venue was great. I love the aesthetic. I love the way it looked. Um, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. It was loud. And it was loud in there too. I mean, it's built for noise, which is good because it was loud. Yeah, it worked. This should be a regular stop for them. It's in their home base. Well, they, they fucking should. own it. They should. <laughs> Con, I think, designed it, right? Or owns it or designed yeah, it or whatever. There's, but. there's some involvement there. But they should run this building several times per year. I love the way this looked. I couldn't be more with you. I, I am so sick of every Raw and every pay-per-view looking exactly the same. And, yeah, it is the cookie-cutter basketball arenas. But, listen, WCW in the 90s used to run those same arenas. But what would they do? For Halloween Havoc, they'd have fucking gravestones out there. Yeah, the, the big pumpkin guy, the guy shaking the pumpkin. <laughs> I always love that guy. Bash on the beach, they'd have sand and fucking beach. But it's all dopey shit, but it gave those shows. All... You, Rich, can you picture in your mind Rey Mysterio coming out for that Halloween Havoc match against uh, Eddie Gray? I mean, it's just burned in your brain. Absolutely, because, yeah. Well, because, I, the, the one that's burned in my brain is uh, it was Jericho and Mysterio at Bash of the Beach, and I think Mysterio got into a beach chair and did a moonsault on the Jericho into the sand, which I was like, hell yeah, fuck yeah, this is wrestling, baby, let's go. Yeah, you remember these entrances, and it's like, remember Halloween Havoc with the tombstones? They they put, like, Jim Hurd's name on there, and they, <laughs> they do all these insider jokes and stuff, you know? But, it, yeah, but no, that this... this looked fantastic and they should come back to this place uh frequently so the br live numbers were down between 10 and 14 percent uh the upside on that was they added eighteen thousand new subscriptions so i will take that over a few less people watching this wasn't as big of a show as the previous show on br live i don't think the lineup was as good do you no god no no i thought fighter to me honestly fighter fest has been my favorite lineup that they put out yeah um but no i mean double or nothing and fighter fest were definitely on paper way better shows than this one Right, so less people watch, but they did add 18,000 new subscriptions, which is the idea when you do things for free like this. So I think from a business perspective, um, you know, there's no complaints there. The show itself, the pre-show, I didn't watch any of it. I didn't see any of the buy-in. I I hand-waved it. There was so much wrestling this month and this week, I should say, that I was just like, you know what? (laughs) Life's too short to watch the buy-in this time. So maybe it sucked. I don't know. I didn't watch it. So I just wasn't around. I got home... um, at the start of the six man. So it's, it's whatever. Um, we should mention Britt Baker, uh, appeared to have a concussion. Uh, she got knocked loopy by a, a B Priestley kick and then tried to hot tag the wrong corner. 
Um, I mean, look, she got knocked loopy. They each have partners that wear like the same gear, have the same haircut, are the same height. They're both Japanese. I could totally see where she accidentally went to the wrong corner when she didn't know where the fuck she was to begin with. So uh, I think people are being a little hard on her from that perspective. Um, but she's going to be out indefinitely as they take care of her medical issues. And we had um, Sunny Kiss defeated Peter Avalon. I saw none of this. I have nothing to add. I don't know anything about it. Other I got than nothing either. Yeah, other nothing either. Thing. I don't. I don't. So. Um, Okay, so we go into the main show. Six-man tag, MJF, Sammy Guevara, and Sean Spears defeat Darby Allen, Jimmy Havoc, and Joey Janela. I thought this was awesome. This was exact. You need to open. I would open up every single show they have with a match like this, whether it's a six-man tag or a wild four-way or two guys just going out there having a spot fest. Psychology be damned. Send a bunch of dudes out there to have an exciting match, WCW cruiserweight match style, opening up Nitro with the Luchador, you know, along those lines. This was a wild spot fest. There was a little bit of storytelling as well. I thought Sammy Guevara looked phenomenal in this match. He did a dive sequence here that was just incredible. Um, And they had, and this is what I loved about this. There's friction between MJF and Sean Spears. They're on the same team. Did they subtlety hammer you to death with this? Did they have them attack each other? Did they have one cost the other the match? No. They just snarled at each other, made it clear that they're not pals, and they went out there and wrestled their Right, match. gave each other some real hard tags and yes. looked at the other one. Sean Spears would get out of the ring and like be kind of an asshole to him. But yeah, it wasn't like he took a chair and just hit him over the head with it and, and bloodied him or whatever. It's just subtle. Just a little bit of looks and a little bit of tension between the two. That's all you needed to do. What a breath of fresh air to handle it. Because I was nervous. If this went down that WWE path, I would have been upset. And I would have complained. But this was handled to perfection. Sean Spears scores the pin on Darby Allen, which is 1 million percent the proper guy winning the match. If you want to argue that maybe one of the other dudes should have taken the fall, it's fine. But listen. It's Darby, want, dude. You can beat Darby for five years. It doesn't matter. It's Darby Allen. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to come on here every time Darby Allen loses and say I have no problem with Darby Allen losing. That's part of his whole mystique. That's part of what's going to get him over. No problem with Allen taking the fall. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was an excellent match. Borderline notebook creeping up. Three and a half, three and three quarters, somewhere in there. What would you think of this one? Yeah, so I really liked it. Um, maybe not as much as you. I went three flat. Uh, with it, uh, Grapple Users 3.35 for this one as well. So you might be a little bit higher than most uh, on this, but we're kind of in between. I'm at three, Grapple Users 3.35. It's split the difference. So. It's split the difference. You yeah, got, absolutely. You got, you got cheap-ass Krejci, and you got <laughs> Joe, who's fucking liberal with the stars, and then they, they, Grapple split the difference, which is usually the case. But anyway, uh, you can stuff. But no, I, I thought one thing that – two things that really stood out to me about this match um, – you mentioned Sammy Guevara. Absolutely. Yeah, he, I thought, was the star of this in terms of in-ring and what he was able to do. I'll touch on the commentary in a bit because there was some stuff that was being said about Sammy and stuff said about this match that made me really start hating the commentary and then never really like it as the show went on, but we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, but Sean Spears, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people, and I know you've seen this as well, and again, I don't want to do like a total straw man, but I'm sure this has been going around a lot. It's not like us just talking to three people that are in our Twitter mentions or whatever, but a lot of people have this idea that, oh, I don't want Sean Spears in a big spot on AEW. He was, you know, the 10 guy. He was a 
comedy guy in WWE. He was a jobber. It makes AEW look like shit that this jobber now is on top of their company and in a big role and all this sort of stuff. I saw him in this match, and he did more to impress me in 30 seconds than he had done in the last fucking... Because he was in developmental, developmental for, what, 15 fucking years. I mean, he was there forever. He did so much in this by just subtly... You know, stepping down from the apron, not taking a tag, you know, or giving a tag and having a look like just the looks of him, just the idea, just the how he, he was carrying himself in the ring, the confidence that he was carrying himself with. I saw way more in this than I had ever seen from Sean Spears or Ty Dillinger ever before, whatever the fuck other names he had, Sean Bricker, whatever he was, whatever the hell his other names were. You know, what I mean, like I saw so much out of him here that I was like, yeah, this really, this this guy's got it. Like he, he's doing so much with so little. He's just got facial, re- you know, just just making one little reaction on his face or just the way he carried himself in the ring. It was just like, yeah, this dude, like who cares what he was before? This is what he is now. And it, it, they've done a good job of it. Like I'm into it. I, I'm into the story and he's getting real heat. The crowd hates him and, and, and it's all working. It's really, really working well. And, you know, to the second point that, that we you know, we've seen a lot is like, oh, does it make AEW look like shit that they didn't push this guy or that they're pushing this guy that WWE didn't really care about? And it's like, and I saw you respond to a few people and I, I totally agree. Who the fuck cares what they did? If anything, it's a better thing to say, hey, look, this guy was a fucking star and he was sitting there for 15 years. And they didn't do shit with him. He's a, he comes to our company and now he's a goddamn star because we know what we're doing with these yeah. guys. To me, that's more of a badge of honor. To me, it, it's very similar to, and again, not a direct comparison one-to-one, but it's very similar to what WWF was doing with you know your Steve Austins, your Mick Foley's in, in 1998 saying, hey, look, these are WCW cast-offs. They, all, they just wanted the old guys and they didn't want these two guys. Well, now our two biggest stars are, are you know Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mick Foley, guys that they just threw to the scrap heap. So it's like, no, I, I to me, it's more of a badge of honor if you can get this guy and, and make it work with him and for all the you know the hand ringing and oh he sucks or whatever, I think he's been great. I think Sean Spears rocks right now. Do you disagree? Am I totally on an island that I think he's awesome? No, he's always been a solid wrestler. Um, he had very few opportunities as Ty Dillinger. A couple big matches on takeovers that people don't remember anymore, and then they did nothing with him on the main roster. He was Gavin Spears a decade ago on WWE CW. You may not even remember that. I, That's how- you know, I'll be honest, I don't, yeah. That's how long he's been around. He he was in developmental in the late aughts. He got called up to W to WWE CW uh, as Gavin Spears. Then he left the company for a couple years. So it wasn't like consecutive. He did leave for a couple years. Then he came back and started the run that that just recently ended, where he was there forever. I mean, this guy's been around. He's thirty eight. Thirty eight years old. Thirty eight years old. <laughs> but the, the whole he's a good hand thing that started this feud with Cody, which I have to once again praise the guys over on Everything Evolves because everything elites. <laughs> everything, man, I'm in such a habit of that. I DM'd somebody today talking about that show and I typed out Everything Evolves and then I had to send another DM like I'm just in the habit of typing that. Uh, but yes, Everything Elite, it's like they picked up on that little subtle t- – they, they knew they, – Give full credit to them. You know, Cody laid that out in a little interview that nobody even saw. That, oh, you know, Sean Spears is a good little hand and, you know, uh, maybe one day he can be a coach for us. And that was a storyline scene. But that was always his – that's been this guy's reputation for a decade, that he's a good little hand. This guy can wrestle, and I think he's going to surprise people when he gets a chance to wrestle. But more importantly, what you've been taught, his character work, particularly in this match, which is basically a spot fest with a little dash of storytelling with Sean Spears, and he didn't – you know, it's not like he could have got eaten up in that and you wouldn't have noticed the little things he was doing. But that's not what happened. He's a professional. He's very good at what he does. He's getting his character over. 
And we should mention the sit-down interview with Jim Ross with the added dimension. Did you watch this? I did. Yeah, I did. Where now he's going to be either managed or mentored by Tully Blanchard, which keeps alive the Tully Blanchard Rhodes family feud Mm -hmm. with Tully Blanchard on the opposite side of Cody Rhodes. Rich, once again, we said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Okay? There's a lot of cooks in AEW. The head chef should be Cody Rhodes. Everything this guy seemed, and, and we're assuming that he's running, that he's in charge of his own angles. I think that's a safe assumption. I, given given yeah. the style that they've been done yes. in, yes. I don't think Kenny Omega is saying, you know, hmm, I got an idea here. <laughs> let's, exactly. Let's Blanchard. <laughs> like, I, I right. don't think, not, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that Kenny Omega is not the man calling for, you know what we need to do? Totally, I think, let's call Tully Blanchard and see what he's doing. Yeah, I don't think that's a Brandy Rhodes direct. I think this right. is Cody. Okay, but I mean, how br- I would have never thought of that. No, never in a million but it's, years. But it's fucking brilliant, Rich. It's brilliant, you know. And 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 it makes me so much more excited for a feud that I was already excited about. And I don't know how you feel, but it's probably similar to me. The hottest feud, the hottest program, the hottest storyline in this company. Is Cody versus Sean Spears, not Chris Jericho versus yeah, Adam Page. Hundred percent, yeah, and that's why when like people are saying like, "Oh, it's no good," or I'm like, "I don't know what you're watching," because I am, I'm into this. Maybe it just appeals to our sensibilities more than others, but I fucking love yeah. it. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, they've done a tremendous job with Spears. Spears is doing a great job. You compare him to WWE taking advantage of WCW castoffs and accentuating the positives. I compare him to more contemporary examples. I compare him against the guy he's across the ring from, Cody, who at the end of his WWE run was, you know, on main event, losing as Stardust. You couldn't be any lower on the card. He was a bottom guy when he left that company. He wasn't even on the A-shows. And now he's one of the biggest stars in wrestling. I compare him to Juice Robinson, who couldn't even get a push in developmental and everyone knows what he's doing in New Japan now, having the time of his life and is a major wrestling star. Why can't Sean Spears follow that path? Am I saying it's a lock? Absolutely not. You don't know what's going to happen. Okay? But do I think he could easily follow that? Do I think he could have a Juice Robinson career curve? Yes. Why not? Oh, for sure. And yeah, he's he might not be Stone Cold, but you're fine if he's Juice Robinson. Like, that's okay. And he's off to a tremendous start. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it goes back to what we said about Luchasaurus. Some guys, it just works in different environments. And maybe it just, Ty Dillinger was never going to work in that environment for a million different reasons. But maybe Sean Spears works in this environment. And when you give him a tremendous angle like this, where you're nailing it every step of the way, you know, that's going to help a lot. You know, but he, his talent will have to take it to the next level. Because he's been handed it. Listen, you couldn't have been handed a better angle. Right. So we'll see if the guy can uh, – let's cliche this up. Let's see if he can run with the ball, Rich. <laughs> right. uh, just, just to give you an idea how long he was in – and I th- we may have done this segment before uh, with, with Sean Spears because it's, it's pretty fun. Uh, his first match in, in, in any WWE environment was in OVW, May 31st, 2006. Sean Spears defeats Simon Dean. That's how far back we're going. Yeah. Simon Dean. Yep. His first tag match was against Deuce and Domino, and he teamed with Elijah Burke. Like, yeah. 
we're yeah. going back, man. This is real far back. This is 2006, May 2006. So you're right. It's it's been a while. And and I know some people are screaming. I know Sean Ricker is Eli Drake. I mentioned Sean Ricker earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't want. I don't want people getting. <laughs> I don't want Eli Drake fans getting very mad at me, or Eli Drake himself getting very mad at me. But uh, we yeah. knew what you meant, buddy. It's I know. A- I know. Just in case. Just in case. But uh, oh, I, I mentioned the commentary as well. Uh, not to oh, before, one, one more point before you move on to the commentary because I want to add on to something else you said. This whole idea of doesn't it look second rate when you're pushing WWE castoffs? Here's the other thing about that. Where do you think they're going to get wrestlers from in this day and age? They own fucking everybody. They have a thousand people on the roster. So I mean, other than the indie guys they're bringing in, okay, chances are anyone with a modicum of a name has passed through those doors. And once you have them, and I've always been a firm believer in this, once you have them, they're your wrestler. They're not, it's, he's not a WWE yeah, wrestler. I don't give a shit what they did before. And nor should you. And it's like, and I think you made another good point. If you do get people over that the other company didn't get over, because you're trying to appeal to smarks, it works to your advantage. And here's the other thing. It's easier to get those people over because your fan base is going to want to help you get those people over to stick it to WWE. You know, so it doesn't matter what the psychology is behind the getting someone over. All that matters is getting them over. So if you can use that as an edge to where you know your fans are going to want to get these ex-wrestlers over who they may have liked in the other company – and the other company that they were screwing over, then you use that to your advantage and you get them over. I don't give a shit. If, if Sean Spears gets hot and he wins their world title, I won't have a problem with that because he's their wrestler now. And if he's over to their fans and he's drawing you money, it doesn't matter what he did before. So just wanted to mention that before we move no, on. No, for sure. And, and good bookers can can transform a guy in, in, in no time whatsoever. I mean, it, it goes throughout history as well. If you've got a guy that you you believe in and you think you can do something with, it does not take long to, to, to transform that guy and get them ready to go. You, you know, like oh, another you know old example that I bring up is, you know, The Undertaker. When, when he comes into WWF, they obviously say, have a liking to him. And he's, you know, winning big matches and he wins that title within a year, whereas, you know, he was – sitting around in WCW as Mean Mark Callis that much, but nobody cared that he was Mean Mark Callis because two weeks into the Undertaker character, he was kicking ass and 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 being awesome. And it was like, yeah, who fucking cares what he used to be? It, it, it's, it's all about how you book that person that you have. And if you are hung up in what they did before or where they came from and where their position was then, then you're you're doing it wrong because, or you're just, you know, you're a failure at your job because you shouldn't do that. You should focus on who you have and what he does for you guys and, and, and what he does for your roster and how you can maximize his, his abilities there. But uh, it, it, the commentary thing that I wanted to talk about. So Sammy Guevara is doing a bunch of cool shit in this match and, and kind of showing off and all that sort of stuff. And we get the Jim Ross. Well, I don't know why these guys aren't going for uh, pinfalls right now. Nobody's trying to win this match. And I was like, Oh, that's like new Japan on access JR here. And I got to admit, and on a big picture level for this commentary, I said during double or nothing that Jim Ross was, was fine on that show. I thought he was good on that show. I thought he was fucking terrible on this entire show, Fight for the Fallen. I thought he was bad. He felt unprepared. He felt like he didn't want to be there. He felt like he was annoyed. He seemed to always be criticizing the referees for what they weren't doing. It was all the bad habits of New Japan on Access, JR. So that kind of came to the forefront. And Alex Marvez, good dude, I think. He does stand-up like stuff on their YouTube page. I'm sure he can host a hell of a podcast. I am never giving him another mic. He he is done. He's got to be done. 
Yeah, you either have to cut him loose or give him something else to do. And he's doing other stuff with the company. He's doing the stand-ups and all sorts of stuff. That's fine. Yeah. That's a good role for him. Commentary is not a good role for him. He's just not a guy. He doesn't enunciate. He has nothing interesting to say, and he doesn't enunciate. He doesn't know when to jump in. Never feels comfortable. You felt JR and Excalibur actively getting annoyed at him as the show was going on. JR especially just kind of making fun of him at certain points. Like it was, it was uncomfortable listening to those. And you know, and he's just like, he's like just talking like, like uh, it's like, okay, dude, you're a commentary. Like you gotta talk a little louder. You gotta have some some excitement, some enunciation. Like you can't just be muttering like you're with your buddies. And I said, like a double or nothing, that's what it felt like. He was just like watching the show with his buddies. And, and that's that's whatever. I, I thought there was kind of jitters, but like it's second show in and he was even quieter and he was like not even saying anything of 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 relevance whatsoever. And it's just like, dude, you can't this is not everybody is a color commentator. Not everybody it, it's difficult. It's a hard job to do, especially pro and commentary. He doesn't I, I'm not saying that to fire him. They can find something else for him, but commentary is absolutely not what he should be doing. Yeah, I should add him into as the third thing that we'll see if they dig their heels in on. Dark Order has to go or be adjusted. The librarians have to go. And Alex Marvez has to go. And he's another good test because he has a relationship with the cons. Yeah. So um, we'll see. But he needs to be given something else to do. Maybe, you know, he's a professional journalist. Maybe he could edit copy on their uh, website. Do they even have a website? Come think of it. I don't, have a website. I don't know that I've ever been to their website. I'm sure they have one. They, I don't think they have a website. They have to have a website. They've never plugged the website. AW Wrestling. Let's find out. <laughs> Joe and Rich, find out if All Elite Wrestling has a website. Uh, All Elite Wrestling.com. Yeah. It's uh, not great. <laughs> Good. Wow. Oh, boy. This is a bad website. Yeah. Maybe that's, I, maybe that's his job. <laughs> maybe that's his job. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's not he's not good. He's got to go. Ooh, this is bad. I need to click out of here. Okay, that's fine. I agree with you that Ross was not good. Um, I think everyone is just miscast. I think that Marvez doesn't belong behind a mic, like you're saying. I think Jim Ross should be used. Now, listen, Rich. Remember when they hired Jim Ross and they said he wouldn't be their lead commentator? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Remember when they said Jim Ross was going to be a senior advisor? Mm-hmm. Okay, which we right. said. Oh, I do remember that. Which we said that'd be great, but we don't believe you. Yep. We think you're going to put him behind a mic. I do remember that? Yeah. That's yeah. Weird. And and now he's been the lead commentator on all of their shows. Well, two out of the three. I think he wasn't on. Was he on? Was he on Fighter Fest? I don't remember now. Oh no, he was on Fighter Fest, right? Yeah. If you, now, if you want to put Jim Ross in the back and have him talking to people's ear and guiding these guys, I have no problem with that. He's got decades of experience that he can lend to some of these dudes and help them out. If you're, but that was a straight up lie. He's been the lead commentator on all of these shows, and they said he wouldn't be. Here's what Jim Ross should be in the back, okay? You want to bring him out once every third show for a main event to give it a little extra oomph? You want to bring him out for Jericho versus Adam Page and make it feel a little extra special? No problem with that. I'd actually be in favor of that. I think that's a good idea. But this dude is your lead commentator trying to call these matches, like you're saying, Getting on these guys for not going for pinfalls. Jim, it's not 1987. Respect the past. Do not be a slave to it. The business constantly evolves. The way people wrestle constantly evolve. No one's thinking about those pinfalls in this opening match spot fest. And neither should you. And on top of that, 
You shouldn't be pointing out that flaw to the audience. Right, exactly. That That's the worst part. Or, or, or pointing out like a referee won't be getting a guy out. Either. Well, I, don't know, I don't know why the referee ain't uh, getting him out of the ring. Or that should be a disqualification. It's like, well, then you make the referee look like an idiot. You make the company look like an idiot. You're, you're doing that. You know, certain commentators would do that over time. And it was always the worst when the, the commentator wants to be the smartest guy in the room. And, oh, well, I see what's going on here. And, and the referee's screwing up or whatever. And at one point apologizing for, oh, I'm sorry. I've been, you know, real critical of the, re- uh, the referees this entire night. It's like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. Stop doing that. Just stop doing that because it's not good for anybody you make everybody look like an idiot there's also a way to do those things without completely burying the company and everybody in the match watch jim Cornette call mlw and he is just so good at retaining his own credibility and bringing up the things that he thinks aren't right that are going on but in a way that doesn't bury anyone and jim ross just does he's just he does not have the ability to do that and I know everybody loves Excalibur. I don't dislike him, but I'm not nearly as high on him as anybody. Listen, and I never liked PWG commentary. I've always thought PWG commentary was subpar. I was never a fan. But I think Excalibur, it, in an ideal in an ideal world, he'd be my third chair. He would be the Mike Tanay, coming in with interesting facts and adding a little bit of life and uh, making the occasional joke. I don't like him as my uh, top color guy. Maybe he can grow into that role, but um, I wouldn't remove him from the booth like the other two. But in an ideal role, to in an ideal world, to me, he's a third chair. The problem is you're not going to find a first and second chair just hanging around looking for work. I don't know where they turn. So to me, this is your booth. Maybe you get rid of Marvez, but. I don't know where you turn from here unless, you know, somebody gets fired from somewhere or there's someone we're not thinking about, you know, that they want to bring in. I, I, I really don't know where you where you possibly go from here. Yeah, I hopefully I, hopefully it's just an off night because I thought a double or nothing Jared was OK. I didn't love him, but I thought this night he was really, really bad. So let's hope that, you know, and, and Fighter Fest, I, now that I remember, he, he did do fun, and he was he was OK there, too. But you could see some of it kind of falling apart. Double or nothing. I think he was really, really good. But uh, yeah, this was this was not good commentary wise. So that's that's the concern I have. A little you know bit who they could use? It'll never fucking happen. You know who they could use? You should hire Cornette. But <laughs> yeah, no, look, I know. Look, I you're know. right. You're right. You're not wrong because he. If you're put, cutting him a check, he's gonna make you off to be the biggest company in the world. He might think these guys are absolute geeks and they fucking suck or whatever. But the second they cut a check, he's gonna think they're the greatest in the world because he's. Ne- Listen, they're never gonna hire him. No, I mean with all the history there with the Bucks and everything. It's never going to happen. And Omega, okay. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot. About the, I'm just thinking the Bucks. I forget that, yeah. But but quite honestly, I'm imagining him in that booth and how great it would be. You know, he'd be – because, you know, he covers for things that he doesn't like in MLW all the time. Right. But professionally, he does his job, and he actually enhances some of the shit. It's like he's, he's just awesome. He's really good in the booth. Well, I think what you have to do, and I think a lot of people struggle with this with Jim Cornette, and and we're blocked by him, so I guess we're one of them that does it too. Did yeah. you know that? But I think yes. when you when you if you fall for his podcast Twitter thing, yes, he's getting attention by saying, "Oh, goddamn, Kenny Omega, what a piece of shit!" Like it's all like deep down, he you know he's fine with it as long as you guys are making money and guys are he's fine with it. But his gimmick is old guy that thinks new guys suck. But and people fall into that. Oh, Jim! But when you pay, like I said, when you cut him a check, when when he's a part of your company, he's gonna make it out to be the greatest thing in the world. Go back to his ring before he was actually running Ring of Honor when he was just a commissioner of Ring of Honor. How awesome was that shit? 
Yeah. It was great. And you knew he probably hated a lot of shit that he was seeing. The guy was, you know, the commissioner of 2004 Ring of Honor. Like, it was probably the worst thing in the world for him. But, God, he made it all like a million bucks. He made everything just have that. So, yeah, I'm with you. He'd be, he'd be a great uh, option there, too. But, yeah, there's, there's – who knows, man? Hopefully hopefully they'll figure things out uh, going forward. I, I, yeah, Jim I, I, Ross I, is uh, – Well, I remember <laughs> when they hired Ross, somebody asked Cody on Twitter why they hired him, and his answer was because he's Jim fucking Ross. And it's almost like – in a lot of ways, they're just putting together sort of this, you know, fantasy promotion. And it's like, this isn't 1997. And, um, you know, I, it, it's, I, look, I'm someone who has always said, I think at this point in time, I don't agree with the idea that Jim Ross is going to draw all these casuals. I, I don't believe in that anymore. Look, you can throw the Wrestle Kingdom 9 argument at me if you want. Uh and it's hard to – I'll admit that it's hard to argue against it. Okay, I, He probably did have something to do with that. But the dynamic – the difference there was the dynamic is it was a foreign product being called by an English announcer. I think that had a bigger effect sure. than – you know what I mean? It, not that I think you disregard what Ross brought to the table, but the dynamic was different. This isn't a foreign language promotion with the novelty of English commentary. So I think the dynamic's different. And I don't think he draws eyeballs. Like, people always make that argument. Oh, Jim, people are going to watch for Jim. No one's going to watch to listen to Jim Ross. I, I, I'm so tired of listening to that. But anyway, Brandy Rhodes defeats Allie. Uh, awesome Kong came out as a surprise again, like she did at Double or Nothing. And uh, this was horrendous. This was awful. Um, the match was bad. Brandy Rhodes tries very hard, but she stinks, and she's never going to be good. And the uh, finish was sort of like the first non-clean finish, I guess, they've done where they did the distraction with the ref. And it took – it felt like it took 10 years for all of this come together. And uh, and Brandy defeats Allie. Rich, this was junk. This was terrible, yeah. It was garbage. Everything about it was garbage. And still to this day, the only two singles matches in the women's division we've gotten are Brandy Rhodes versus Allie and Leva Bates versus – Allie. Versus Allie. Yeah. So um, Allie, Allie's not had a good run of it so far. And like, she's no super worker, uh, but she probably deserves better than this, than what she's had so far. Well, it, they've had two singles matches and the, and it's featured the two worst wrestlers on the roster with Rhodes and Leva Bates. And it's like all of the good wrestlers that they have are in tags on all of these shows. Yeah. So they got Nakajima and Riho and Britt Baker and Pia Priestley in, in a tag match. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. so, so that's a big problem, but I don't have much more to add to this. This stunk. It was awful. Brandy Rhodes, quite honestly, shouldn't, should just not wrestle. I mean, she's not cut out for this. She's not an athlete at all. And she tries really hard. Okay. That's the thing, but she's still awful. And, she sticks out like a sore thumb on what is largely a pretty talented roster. You can't run her out there because it just it looks like she's a step slower than everybody else. She was bad in Ring of Honor, and she's bad here. And there's a reason WWE stopped letting her wrestle. And believe me, the standards aren't super high when you see people like Aaliyah and, and everybody else who they keep running out there. Okay, She was so bad that they pulled her out of the ring. She's not good. You know, and 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 I, I do think it's a big negative, both from the perspective that everybody knows she's office number one, and number two, she stinks. At least with Kenny Omega and Cody, they're good. 
And, and all right, they're office, but they're fucking good. She's awful. And there's no reason that she should ever be pushed. And I don't even think she should ever be in the ring. So am I being too hard on Brandy Rose? No, you're not. I mean, she's 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 a good asset to the company because I think her promos are good. I think as a manager, she, if she's going to be the manager of Awesome Kong or whatever, I think there's good roles for her. I mean, watching sure. some of the Road 2 stuff, like the the, the she she can talk. She she's got charisma. She's got, but the thing she cannot do in any level whatsoever is is wrestle. She's really 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 bad. And like you said, it, it it's it's not it, it's nothing. It's just she sticks out like a sore thumb. The rest of the roster is super talented, especially the women's roster. The women's roster has a ton of talent, but that talent's not being featured, and that talent's not getting singles matches, and that talent's not being you know the, the the top of the card because you know you got stuff like this and 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 you know stuff like Leva Bates or whatnot. So there's just yeah, it's you just kind of have to sort of know what you have and understand that hey, look like this you know we're trying with the Brandy thing, but it's just not going to work. I think there's a way better way to accentuate what she's great at. And it, it, it's not her getting in the ring anymore. And, and and the worst part too is like she gets hurt all the time too. It's just like at some point, and, and I know that was part of her promo about how you know, hey, you know, I, I, I you know, my confidence level has been shot and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, I know, but like at some point, you know, when do you just kind of cut bait and just go, okay, look, it's just not going to happen with me being a pro wrestler. It's it's it, it stinks. I get it, but it's yeah, this was this was no good. And it was it was building too to an Aja Kong, awesome Kong confrontation that the fans i was kind of surprised didn't really care that much about mostly because aja kong's music made like no sense whatsoever i don't i don't remember what her music was on double or nothing but she came out to some like generic rock song that nobody like people are like well who the hell is this and they're like oh it's aja kong coming out to a generic rock song okay and the stare down between the two i mean you thought i I know what they were going for there but it just didn't quite work so yeah this whole this match and that segment just yeah definitely a a, a failure i think all around this isn't a fantasy camp okay rich I've always wanted to play the piano. That's a dream of mine. I, I, I like the way a piano is. I'm into the piano gimmick, okay? Here's the problem. I have zero musical ability. None. I'm awful. I've tried it when I was young. I, I can practice on the piano until the day I die, and I will always be bad at playing the piano, which means I should never be behind the keys of a piano, okay, on a fucking concert stage, she may want to wrestle, but she doesn't belong in the ring in a major league wrestling company because she's never going to be good at it, okay? If I can't play the fucking piano, she doesn't belong in a wrestling ring. Get her out of here. She stinks. Uh, we did the three-way tag. We did Adam Page versus Kip Sabian. Lucha Brothers defeat SCU. SCU is super motherfucking over. Um, I have to say that every time. These people love the SCU. The Lucha Brothers. Now, look, this was just a fun uh, three and a half star uh, spot fest. I've seen so much Lucha Brothers. We talk about this before. <laughs> I know. I feel I have to just like forego opinions about it because it's like I, I, I always it. enjoy them. They're fine, but then I'm, they're over and I'm like, all right, cool. They're over. Good. <laughs> like, it's just, I know there are people that love these matches way more than I do. And I like this one fine. It's just, I can't get excited about watching them anymore. It's a shame that either AEW didn't happen three years ago or the Lucha Brothers weren't happening until now. Because could you imagine fresh Lucha Brothers? In this oh, they're company? great! Yeah, they're unbelievable. They're still unbelievable. I've I've seen them live literally a thousand times. I think in the last yeah. four years, and they still I'm like, oh fuck, they do something every time, every match, and I'm like, oh man, these guys rock. But yeah, it's just yeah. Oh my god, if they were coming out right now in 2019, or yeah. it just would have been unbelievable. The dynamic but, yeah. would be so much different. But um, but yeah, it was a Lucha Brothers match. So we move on to Kenny Omega versus Shima. I thought this was the best match on the show. I thought this delivered um, 
beyond my expectations because I wasn't sure that their styles were going to mesh. I'm not sure what we were going to get out of Shima. Even in his prime, Shima is not the best singles wrestler. I, you know, that's one thing about him. He's much better in a tag environment. Uh, still doesn't have that big, you know, uh, all-time classic singles match on his resume. But I thought these guys knocked it out of the park. I thought Omega was excellent here. I thought Shima was awesome here. And I thought they had a, uh, a great match, which was easily the best on the show. What did you think of this? Yeah, I'm right with you. I went, uh, I went four and a quarter with this one. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, my a top match of the entire show. Not quite that. Like you said, Shimon doesn't quite have that like, oh, my God, match of the year. Oh, my God. You know, the, you know kind of the, the resume building match. But I think this one definitely helped. I mean, it was just another really solid, well-worked match. Really good back and forth. Great counters between the two. As we predicted, Kenny Omega was going to be in rare form, knowing that he's there with Shima. He understands the brevity of that. He understands how important that is to be in there with you know, with Shima. And I thought Shima acclimated himself pretty well too. I think he he took a little while to get going, but once he got going, man, he was ready and 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 right there neck and neck with Kenny Omega, which is is no small task given that you know Shima has been wrestling for as long as he's been wrestling to to, to be you know right there neck and neck and just as good and just as fast with with a guy like Kenny Omega. Uh, definitely, you know, you know, speaks to how great he is and at all time. Great for sure. Uh, four point zero one is what the grapple users had this one, so they're right above four. I was four and a quarter. Joe, what was your uh, final rating for this one? Four and a dot. Okay, so you're you're right there. So you and I are both pretty close. So I am the one who goes a little wild there with the four and a quarter. As opposed to you, Mister Liberal, sir. But uh, that's that. So yeah, that I believe if I'm looking at the numbers now, I believe that is so they align with us at the highest rated match of of, of uh, Fight for the Fallen with Shima and uh, Kenny Omega. But I did want to talk uh, main event. We talked we touched on it a little bit, but I thought it was kind of interesting. The grapple users, I, I I didn't get your rating on this, and we haven't talked about it either. But grapple users, three point four five for the main event. Where are you at with that one? Because I'm uh, I think my rating might be a little surprised. Um, you know, by the end of the match, I really didn't like the match. And I really loved the first, it's weird because I love the first two thirds, but I think they just lost their way. I'd have to go like three. That's exactly, I'm three on the dot. And that's, I'm sitting there and I have it like, because you're, like you're saying, the first 20 minutes, I'm like, this is pretty good. I don't understand. Because I, I watched it a little, I watched this yeah. match a little bit later than everybody else. And I saw a lot of criticism. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what people are talking about. This match fucking rocks. Like, like 20 minutes, I'm in. I'm into the comebacks. I'm into the hot tags. I'm into, you know, the bucks selling and, and, and the tags to Dustin. And then, like, everything's kind of working and working and working. And, and like, I'm there. I'm like four and a half. I'm four and a quarter. I'm right, I'm like right there. And then, like, little by little, like every five minutes, they're to me they're losing more and losing more. And like you said, ultimately, which sucks is that when it was over, I, I had a negative opinion about the match, which is weird because you know three fourths of it I loved. But you, uh, uh, you know, it, that's what's interesting about wrestling is that when you take an entire match at the totality of it, and 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 when you're done, you kind of have to. And that's why I like doing star ratings immediately after too, because you're like, all right, what did you feel? What did you think about that match when it was over? And like you said, it was like one where I'm like, man, I. I didn't like that match, which is weird because I liked most of it. 75% of the match I loved, but it was just like when it was done, you just had that weird feeling. It just didn't quite work. So that that's that's interesting that you and I are three exactly. Uh, Grapple users 3.45 for that match, though. Yeah. Um, no, I just, I don't know. I didn't like it very much. One of my least favorite matches on the show when it was all said and done. I mean, Allie and Brandy Rose. Well, that, I mean, that's a different category altogether. I mean, in terms of matches, you know, done by real wrestlers, yeah, that was definitely that's a one star match. I mean, that's as bad as it gets. Yeah, well, what? Let me see what the, the grapple users put on that one because hopefully they buried it as much as we did. Yeah, I went one and uh, I went one and a quarter. They went one point five. Yeah, it's a horrible match on that one. That's that's not good, <laughs> not good at all. Uh, so, anything else on the, the main event or anything else on Fight for the Fallen? No, I mean you had the post match stuff with the boing. Um, 
you know, none of that came off very well, but I don't care about any of that because it was, that was the charity stuff. And none of that, that doesn't bother me as much as it's bothered other people, sort of the post-match stuff, because I think you're doing a charity show. You're bringing out the giant novelty check. Uh, you're bringing out Shad Khan. I don't care if you go out of character for that. doesn't bother me at all um, because it's just a, it's a special deal. Right. Uh, oh, I saw people mentioning that like Brandy's out there, even though she's a dastardly heel. It's like, I, whatever. <laughs> you're cutting a giant novelty check for a charity. It doesn't, it didn't bother me at all. I had no issue with that. Um, could you have done it off air? Sure. But I think they wanted to show everybody uh, and, 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 you know, um, and plug the charity and all that. So um, I'm not going to go crazy about that. I know some people did. So I guess it was worth bringing up. Now, if every single show, they're all going to come out there and fucking take bows. Because, you know, they did do that at Double or Nothing, and I gave them a pass because, okay, it's your, your you know, debut show. That's fine. But if they if this becomes a trend and at the end of every show they're going to go out there and fucking, you know, take soak in the adulation, it's going to get out of hand. But I, it didn't bother me here. All right, let's move on to uh, some matches or some shows here in WWE land. We'll start with WWE Extreme Rules. This one also sponsored by our friends at Grapple, G-R-A-P-P-L. We did want to mention, uh, they want to make a note as well, that uh, they have identified some bugs and crashes on the Android version. Because we have heard from a lot of people as well that use Android, and I know you do as well, that there were a few things that didn't quite work right or some things were a little off place. Uh, they've been working, uh, solving and improving those issues, and an update will be coming in the next week or so. Uh, for Android users. So if you're an Android user and you've tried out Grapple and said, ah, you know, eh, there's some there's some issues or ah, I don't like this, they are aware of it, they know about it, and they're fixing it. Update coming out next week for Android users. So hopefully that'll fix uh, some of the issues you guys have had there. But uh, yeah, let's go over this Extreme Roll show, obviously. Also, Rich, uh, oh, sorry, know, go ahead. Did you know that Grapple is up to 16 promotions now? 16, all right, yeah. Who are they? Name every single one in order. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> including All Japan, Dragon Gate, PWA and Australia and smash wrestling out of Canada. So uh, they're constantly adding promotions as well. So you can get on there this weekend, in fact, and rate all of your Kobe world. Matches. I was going to say great weekend for them to launch Dragon Gate on there. So uh, you got the big show Kobe world. So that'd be fun. So make sure people do that. Uh, all Japan, Dragon Gate, PWA, Australia, smash and Canada. One thing I have noticed, I, I, I don't know. Uh, people know that. I think we've talked about it a few times that they've, they've, you know, the sponsored episodes uh, is that there's classic matches in there too. You can go back and watch classic all Japan and rate that. I'm going through for, you know, boys of the summer or boys of the summer on uh, going back through old summer slams uh, on our Patreon and, and, and going back and rating some of the matches I'm watching there. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, SummerSlam 1993. I can rate Lex Luger and Yokozuna from SummerSlam 93. So it's interesting to see what people are kind of going back and, and, and doing and checking out. So it's not only if you're just watching real time wrestling, if you're going back and watching archived stuff, you can see what ratings are and you can kind of log your ratings as well. I think that's, what's most important for me is to kind of get an idea of, Hey, what did I rate stuff back in the day? Or, Hey, what I rate this, the show years ago. Cause I've now started to reference it, you know, for when I do reviews or, 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 or columns or anything like that, I'm like, Hey, you know, a year ago, what the hell did I rate that match? And that's kind of cool that they're, they're starting to build that up a little bit and build up the database of events. So it's not just current stuff. You can go back uh, and rate old stuff on there too, which is pretty cool. But, uh, and you can do that a year later, go back and review extreme rules, 2019, see what you did, what ratings you dropped here. So obviously this is the Sunday show uh, from Philadelphia. We'll talk about evolve after this, but we thought we'd at least get to extreme rules first. Uh, the bigger show of the weekend. We'll start right at the pre-show Joe. Shinsuke Nakamura defeating Finn Balor for the IC title. Welcome back, Shinsuke Nakamura and Balor taking a sabbatical. I think that's the word that they've used uh, to get married, correct? Finn Balor's getting married. Uh, yeah, he is. He's getting married. That's correct. So that's that. So anything uh, anything big on this pre-show? I did not see this one. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura defeating Finn Balor for the IC title. 
Rich, I did not watch the pre-show. Oh, you didn't watch the pre-show. Well, that's not you. You skipped a cruiserweight. You skipped Drew Gulak versus Tony Nese cruiserweight title. You didn't want to watch that. I will watch the pre-show. I have not yet watched the pre-show. All right, well, fair enough. Anyway, let's get to the uh, the big part of the show. Then we had a hot opener here: the Undertaker and Roman Reigns defeating Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. No holds barred tag team match. Seventeen minutes. If I just told you that, Joe, you'd probably say this match fucking sucked. It didn't fucking suck though, right? Notebook match. Unbelievable. How was this match good? It was good. Four stars. Um, the Undertaker was good. Like, really good, right? Well, I think it was a combination of, you know, it's a no-holds-barred match. So you're able to hide some of his deficiencies. But to sure. be fair, he's been in these situations before over the last few years and still looks horrible. But um, it just all worked. I mean, I think, you know, he, he wrestled as well as he could possibly wrestle, especially compared to the way that he's wrestled. And he didn't do a ton. I watched it twice. And the second time I watched the match... I was specifically paying attention to The Undertaker, and he really kind of stayed out of the way. So I think that helped, too. That's well, a good um, way to use him. I mean, I've, if we're being honest, like maybe no more singles matches, maybe no big 40-minute singles matches, no big you know, epic matches. Maybe him is just like a tag role, him and just kind of this opener role, him in 10-minute matches might be the better way to utilize him because I think there's going to get a benefit no matter what from it. It's like, oh, it's The Undertaker. Hey, it's The Undertaker. Like That might be the benefit now versus, hey, it's The Undertaker having great matches. Th- those days might be done. Well... The show nearly sold out, and it's not because Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans were in the main event, because we saw what happened the last time they made an event with Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. Nobody cares about Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans, okay? The ratings tell you that. Stomping Grounds tells you that. They put Undertaker on this show, and they nearly draw a sellout in Philly. Now, it's also Philly, and they're going to buy a lot of tickets anyway. It's a great wrestling town, but... This might sort of make them think that they need to use The Undertaker semi-regularly moving forward because he moves some tickets. So we'll see about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the stipulation, you had the Elias run-in, so it was a lot of um, shortcuts and things. But that's fine. I mean, the crowd was red fucking hot for this. I think it was smart to put this match on first. I think that's a factor, too. You open up the show, you get The Undertaker out there right away. The crowd has a lot of energy. And um, the way this match, it was just uh, fast-paced with a lot of weapons and shit like that. And you had the Elias run-in. and um, It just all worked. It was an exciting Attitude-era style wild brawl, if that kind of makes sense. And um, the one thing you want to look at if you want to nitpick booking is, you know, you build up Shane McMahon and then The Undertaker is the guy who finally beats him. Well, uh, hot up and comer, the Undertaker gets picks up the big win over Shane McMahon. But um, you know, it's like you know, I don't get wrapped up in WWE. Book you can't, you can't, you, you you drive yourself nuts. It's it's you know, nothing means anything. So uh, look, all I know is I was blown away by how good this match was, and we were off to a real good start. Also, uh, grapple users, I thought it was kind of interesting. Three point one four for this. Do you think that's pretty low? Because you were, you were, were you four? You were four on yeah, that? This is a notebook match to me, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm kind of surprised to see the 3.14 from. Uh, I'd be real hard on it. I mean, the crowd alone. I mean, the crowd is big for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, always for me, too. It always influences ratings. The crowd lifted this match. And, you know, and, and, and I could see why maybe some people didn't like it. Maybe you're not into the run in and all the plunder. And, um, but when you got a red hot crowd like that and, and, you know, um, these guys are out there brawling and hitting each other with shit, putting each other through tables. Now there was the flub at the end um, where 
Shane McMahon, uh, you know, Reigns Irish whipped him into the Undertaker, and he's supposed to scoop him up into the tombstone, and he couldn't lift him. So he kind of dropped Shane, yeah. and he kind of stared at him and mumbled something, and uh, Corey Graves tried to cover for it. He was like, oh, the Undertaker playing mind games. With <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, so, and then uh, and then on the second attempt, Shane took this exaggerated leap. <laughs> like It was so clear that like he was going to do everything in his power to get up the second time, and uh, it looked absolutely ridiculous. So the finish didn't land. But, yeah, maybe uh, just choke slams for old Taker from here on out. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, we had the Revival defeating the Usos, uh, retaining their uh, Raw Tag Team titles. Yeah, it was fine. Um, you want a better match out of these two teams, ideally, because I think the ceiling on these two is tag team match of the year. Sure. Um, but it was it was good. It was a good match. The first half of this show was 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 pretty solid. This actually, as a whole, was the best WWE pay per view in a long time. And when I say a long time, I mean you know several. I can't remember the last time I praised the WWE pay per view. We usually come on here and mock it. But this show had a bunch of solid matches, two notebook matches. When's the last time you could say that? We'll yeah, it's been a while for you, I'm sure. A bunch of solid matches and nothing that was like super embarrassing or super awful, which you're almost guaranteed of on W. So this show was fine. Like this would be like a, a six out of ten show, which by their pay-per-view standards lately is, you know, tremendous. And this was a good example. This match was a good, solid match. Um, this would have been an excellent, like, raw match in the second hour. You know what I mean? So um, maybe not as good as it could have been, but, you know, I had no problem with it. And the revival retained. Absolutely. Uh, move on here. Alistair Black and Cesaro. A lot of buzz about this match. What would you think of it? Slightly disappointing, but still a solid match. Still a solid match. I think I go three and a quarter or something. Solid yeah. match, but you want more. You you think with these two guys in there, you know. But um, look, the idea of the match though is Cesaro putting Alistair Black over. I mean, and and they accomplished that. Um, you know, he knocked him out with the flash KO with the uh, what's he calls kick to the head Black Mass. Black Mass. Oh, there we go, Joe Move Master Joe. There, look at that. Well, here's the thing: when you review. A million NXT shows for Fighting Spirit Magazine, and you type Black Mass a thousand fucking times. Sometimes these things get burned into your brain. Um, speaking of which, you should probably say a word about Fighting Spirit Magazine. That's a good opportunity to do it, yeah. So next month's issue is the final issue. I filed my final piece for Fighting Spirit Magazine, which was the Extreme Rules Review. I was hoping I'd get another terrible WWE pay-per-view to go out on where I could just completely fucking go ape shit and bury the hell out of it. Unfortunately, I didn't get that, so I had to say nice things. It's much easier to write about something when it sucks than when it's good or when it's you know slightly better than mediocre like this show was. But um, that's it for Fighting Spirit Magazine. Um, they decided to... Uh, uh, the parent company has decided to shut the magazine down. I got the call from Brian Elliott last week. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I started with Fighting Spirit Magazine 2014. I reviewed every single WWE pay-per-view and NXT TakeOver during that time. Um, if there's one silver lining, I don't have to watch WWE pay-per-views twice anymore. Rich, I watch all of these shows twice. Think about I that. Uh, <laughs> I can't. No, don't make me think about that. 
Yeah, you know, and I was looking through the archive, I, you know, all the impacts, pay-per-views. Uh, I was doing New Japan in the beginning, um, you know, uh, wrote a couple of features that I'm very proud of that were in the magazine. So, um, you know, I want to thank Brian Elliott for uh, putting up with me, pushing my deadlines to the limit, as only Rich could imagine, um, every single month with the – and I'm his sorry, very, Brian. He's your fault sometimes, too. <laughs> his very polite emails, too. Um, you know, they would always be worded very politely, even though I knew he was, you know, he's like, Joe, I could really use that review. <laughs> it would be, <laughs> be quite advantageous if you would send me that review as quickly as possible. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. And I'd be like, shit, I totally forgot that fucking roadblock end of the line was right. Yeah, not to trouble you, Joe, but if you could please give me that review as quickly as possible. It'd be... Seriously, did you write the emails? Cause I didn't know, because I've had to talk to you uh, the same way before. Like, hey, uh, Joe, how's it going, man? Uh, any chance you're going to be able to... Uh... Yeah, so, um, you know, I want to thank Brian for putting up with me, pushing the deadlines to the limit. And, of course, I want to thank uh, Alan Cunahan, who doesn't want the thanks, but he's going to get it anyway because there was some random-ass New Japan review five fucking years ago that I guess he didn't feel like doing. He recommends me for the spot. Um, I write the review. I guess Brian likes what he sees, and then it went from there. So um, it was five solid years of, uh, of work. Uh, thanks to Alan's recommendation. Thanks to Brian putting up with me. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's a shame because I think Fighting Spirit Magazine was, uh, one hell of a publication. Uh, there was a lot of great stuff in there. Um, um, and, 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 and seriously, Joe Lanza stuff doesn't even, you know, forget it. I was a footnote. Okay. Uh, there were much more talented people than me putting stuff into that magazine, uh, on a month in month out basis. And I think it is a major loss for professional wrestling, but that's the way it goes. It's, uh, you know, the magazine business, obviously is a very tough business to sustain uh these days for reasons that nobody needs to be uh to have explained to them and um unfortunately another one goes down so um it's not good but um yeah i i, I don't know what else to say it's uh, yeah it's 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 super unfortunate because it was and and you mentioned like you know yourself and alan and guys like rob naylor i know did co- uh, columns on there i know jim Cornette, who we mentioned a little bit earlier did some stuff there i know steve austin at one point had one uh, sean cedar uh also from this site who does uh, evolve and roh reviews i know he was on there like there's a lot of our writers that ended up there there was a lot of really great people that we've talked to over the years that all wrote there and 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 it was just it's it's look it was an awesome mag- i mean i i mentioned this too from somebody who's done layout of of magazines and, and newspapers before i mean in terms of the photos the layout the editing like it was top notch like that was a good magazine man that was a really good thing and i always was surprised because like my local bookstores would have that and uh, i might say local bookstores like there's a bunch of them over there my local barnes and noble i remember walking in like one time four or five years ago and being like holy shit we, this has like i never thought to even look there for the Spanish spirit magazine and then anytime i would go by there i'd always make sure i, I picked up a copy and, and, and checked it out and read through it and whatnot and i was always impressed uh, the photography, as I said, was top notch. The layout was great. Uh, it was just a really good magazine, really detailed. And like, there, there's not going to be. And, and unfortunately, it's like this weird thing where those types of of that type of wrestling magazine, they were barely around for a while. They're they're never coming. We have Pro Wrestling Illustrated still out there, but that's it. And that's you, you know what I mean by that type of wrestling magazine. Yes, like the smart magazine, like that. that PWI is, is fine. It is what it is. It is you know it, it reaches a certain market. But unfortunately, with Fighting Spirit going down, like that is that is it for the smart magazines. 
of pro yeah. wrestling that they're just not like no one's ever gonna no one in their right mind would ever say you know what i'm gonna do i got an idea here <laughs> like i'm gonna write a you know a, a smart mark wrestling magazine and like it's just you know fighting spirit was the last of of that kind and they're, they're gone like they're, they're never coming back either and it's it, that's a real shame of it but th- that they were lasting it was awesome to see fighting spirit lasting as long as it was uh and yeah when that news came down it was it was really unfortunate because it's like damn like that's that's it now and that, I, I grew up in wrestling magazines man they're, they're my life like i loved wrestling magazines as a kid and i still have boxes and boxes of them i think i've thrown out a lot of them uh over the years but that was it for me i just i would go to this grocery store pick up as many of them as i could read as many of them as i could and and now it's like they're just there's a whole you know they're dead they're, they're really largely dead and it, it, it just absolutely sucks because well, they're, well, they're a great resource well don't forget too it's one less paying gig for people to Absolutely, right. Writing about right. wrestling, and there's that aspect of it too. And uh, you mentioned Sean Cedor. We graduated uh, several different writers to Fighting Spirit. Uh, Andrew Sinclair did some stuff there. So it's like um, I think Harrington uh, and and I want to say Chris Harrington did as well. Mukigana may have years ago. He may have years ago. Yeah, you might be right about that. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, but um, but yeah, it's 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 a shame on several different fronts. But uh, but yeah, just wanted to say a few words about uh, Fighting Spirit magazine. But um, I don't even know how how did I even get in. Oh, you were talking I'm, about Black I'm Mass. Right. You were talking about Alistair Black in the back yeah. of the Black Mass. So, but uh, yeah. we'll move on to the next match here. Uh, Bailey defeating Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss in a handicap match for the SmackDown Women's Title. You do all this weird build, all this sort of stuff, and then Bailey just wins. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I wanted to hate this. But Bailey just works her ass off. She is such a hard worker, and she tries her best. But unlike Brandy Rhodes, she's good. And, you know, she's like, in the beginning of the match, she's fending off both of these girls, and it's just the intensity and the way she's working. She's working it different than a singles match, which is what you want to see in a situation like this. And she made something out of a horrible stipulation. Handicap matches stink. Okay? <laughs> you know me. You know what I think. They're no good. You got Alexa Bliss in there who's like a half step above Brandy Rhodes. She's terrible. Um, and, and and Bailey just made the most of this and made something out of it. Terrible storyline coming in. Um, you know, so it, it ended up not being a bad match. It was a pretty good match. And I say that not wanting to even like it. Because I'm hating everything else about it, but um, it really wasn't that bad. I thought Bailey um, carried the hell out of this thing, and and it was really an unsung performance because it's a match that no one's ever going to think about again. But if you go back and watch this, she is so good in this match, and she works so hard. Um, Rich, before we move on to the last man standing, Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley, okay, in honor of the terrible. Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross storyline. Rich, I have a surprise for you. Oh. Okay? I have a surprise for you. I don't like your surprises. (laughs) Go on. It's a good surprise. And the surprise is we have a surprise game show for Rich Trage. Oh, God. (sighs) All right. Today's game show, Rich, is I am going to name horrible wrestling storylines and your job as the contestant rich is to tell me whether they are real or whether i made them up Ooh, okay this is interesting all right fun let's go are you ready for your first one rich i'm ready let's go this is fun 
We're going to go back to the Global Wrestling Federation from the early 90s on ESPN. Rich, in the Global Wrestling Federation, Maniac Mike Davis once wrestled Chaz Taylor in a bungee cord match, which took place high above the Dallas Sportatorium. Mike Davis was flung by the bungee cord to outer space where he re- where he returned with a moon rock. Rich, is this an actual pro wrestling storyline or am I making this up? Oh god, I feel like you're making that up. I'm going to go with official answers you're making that up. So you don't think that maniac Mike Davis, who was an eclectic character, returned from the moon with a moon rock after being flung to the moon on a bungee cord? Final answer? Yeah. Made up? Yeah, made up. That is a real pro wrestling angle. Bad angle. (laughs) That actually happened. Was the match any good? Was the bungee cord match any good? No. Okay. I was going to say probably not. Rich, they said the man got flung into outer space. Well, I mean, it's a bungee cord. Those things are pretty powerful, so. Number two. Are you familiar with Sachi Hoko Boy from Dragon Gate? Oh, of course. Yes, yes. We'll talk about him later, hopefully. When Sachi Hoko Boy debuted in Dragon Gate, he wore an all-gold costume. Part of his gimmick was that he would shit out golden nuggets from his butt. Is this a real pro wrestling angle, or am I making it up? Okay, I feel like this is true. I'm going to go with yes, this is a real angle. Oh, bullshit. That happened. Now, here's a little caveat on this. I was going to say, I feel like he, he, there was something interesting about his early character, right? I swear this is real. Okay. <laughs> I, I swear I remember it, but I have asked every Dragon Gate expert that I know, and they all tell me that it was a fever dream and there's that never fucked Oh, up. maybe I heard you asking somebody about this, and now I also have now believed that this is a true thing. That's right. So you're, you're, you're got a Mandela effect thing going on here, and you're now spreading it to me. So Correct. Are you ready for number three? We're over I guess two. so. Over two. This is not good. Let's go. Yeah. You may recall in ECW, Public Enemy had a heated feud with the Funk Brothers. Do you recall that feud, Rich? Uh, yes. Do you remember the chair-throwing incident that they showed on all of the openings? Of oh, of course. Who could, yeah, who could forget? Uh, to put added heat on that feud, Rich, Public Enemy traveled down to Amarillo, Texas and the Double Cross Ranch. They broke into the Double Cross Ranch and they vandalized the famed Funk Double Cross Ranch, including spray painting the cows with phrases such as public enemy rules. Rich, is this a real pro wrestling angle or am I making it up? Uh, ooh, I don't remember this one off the top of my head, but it sounds real, so I'm going to go real. Don't you think they do something more creative than public enemy rules on the cows? Is that sort of a tip-off that it might be fake? <laughs> no. <laughs> you could totally see public enemy rules? Yeah, of course. It's like 1995. That would be like real, you know, yeah. radical to do that. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding. Yeah, see, I was going to say, 1995. Though, like, was it rules with an R-U-L-Z? Because, <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're cool. Yes, it was. But... It wasn't actually? <laughs> yeah, see, that's what yeah, I mean. But, like... but here's the catch, Rich. There was no wrong answer here. Uh-oh. This wasn't 
an ECW angle. This was an after mag angle, which was clearly made up, but it was in the after mags that the public oh, interesting. All right, all right. <laughs> broke into the double cross ranch to vandalize the ranch and spray paint the cows. Therefore, I could not say you were wrong with either answer you gave. So you are correct. All right, I'll take it. it. Hey. Real angle, but it was done in the map. Hey, listen, just because you get them, yeah, right. That's right. Okay, are you ready for number four? There's one I am ready. Yeah, and you can even yourself up at two and two if you get this one right. Rich, do you remember Exotic Adrian Street? A little bit. This is going to be tough, but no, not not a ton, but uh, maybe enough to, to answer this question here. So, sort of the precursor to the Gold Dust gimmick, right? He was sort of uh, androgynous, as uh, Vince McMahon would say. Wasn't that Vince McMahon's word? For yeah, gold? he always loved androgynous without, yeah. That's the and, the, or the bizarre gold dust, the androgynous gold dust. So exotic Adrian Streets. And, flamboyant. Uh, flamboyant was another flamboyant. one. Always used to, yeah. Exotic Adrian Street was very flamboyant and very bizarre. And uh, uh, in the 1970s, this was really walking on the edge when it came to pro wrestling angles. But the idea was he was always accompanied by Miss Linda, his valet. And it was very much like Goldust in that the man wasn't really gay. He portrayed himself as gay. And, the, and he, would, he would rile up his opponents by uh, perpetrating that he was gay. But this was a man who could throw fists. And if you didn't like his style and if you didn't like the way he presented himself, he would beat the shit out of you. In continental wrestling, exotic Adrian Street developed a crush on Dr. Tom Pritchard, which was out of character for Exotic Adrian Street, who was always accompanied by Miss Linda. And the the essence of the character was that in reality, he really was just a straight man who just happened to be flamboyant. But he developed a crush on Dr. Tom, and Miss Linda was very jealous. Rich, is this a real angle from Continental Wrestling, or am I making it up? Ooh, um... I'm going to go with real. I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm going to go with real. Sounds real enough, right? Continental was kind of forward thinking. Had a lot of crazy angles down there. Oh, come on. You sold that one pretty good. I made that one up. Um, That's a good angle. They should have done that. They should have. See, (laughs) this is is why you got to give Joe the pencil. Because they were were a team, if I remember correctly, right? A lot there. I don't know if it was a ton in Continental, but I know that they. I, I, I want to remember that I watched a Continental and they were a team at one point. So it made a lot of sense to me that he would, you know, have eyes for the uh, very, uh, very handsome Tom Pritchard at that time. Very so. handsome young Doctor Tom Pritchard, right? And Miss Linda would be just listen. This is why you got to give Joe the pencil. Okay, I come up with these tremendous ideas. That's something they should have done with uh, Exotic Adrian Street. But that's the game, Rich. Oh damn it! Oh. We went one and three, and uh, we're not going to try to even you up and do two more on the spot here because that's going to take all night. So you're just going to have to accept uh, that you are a loser. So take your L and uh, do better next time. What match are we on here? We are on. That was a fun game. I like this game. Like a, you enjoyed that? Yeah, that was a good one. That was good. Even though I failed at that one, I, I, I enjoyed that one a lot. It's good to take right. a trip down memory lane. I kind of want to. I want that. I want that Patriot Street Tom Pritchard thing to happen now. It's a great. You can get like two months out of that thing. You know what I mean? Like they're a tag team. You just kind of, you know, the tags get a little bit, you know, a little heavier. You know, a little more like like just eyes. Like you could have done a lot with that. And 
do you think Tom Pritchard would have handled that angle as poorly as he handles I want to talk to Tom? Yes. <laughs> yes, he would have, for sure. It would have been handled just as poorly. <laughs> yes. As, as good as the story sounds on paper, probably not well done well in 80s territorial wrestling. So <laughs> No, especially since Adrian Street was the heel. Yeah, so yeah exactly. Have, the promos alone would probably not be very good. So It would have gone horribly wrong. So um, anyway. Uh, you were uh, Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley, last man standing match here. Braun wins, uh, again, Bobby Lashley. Yeah, Braun won. Again, not bad. Um, you know, I could do without walking up the arena steps. You know, it bothers me when wrestlers constantly brawl in, you know, the, the crowd in Cork and Hall. And, um, you know, they went up the steps here and they went out and fought in the concourse for a little while. And um, by last man standing standards, it, this wasn't that bad. Um you know, a pretty good match. Can't call it very good. And Braun uh, power slams or body slams Lashley through a you know, gimmicked uh, sort of platform, and they both fall through. And Braun is the first one to stand up, so a pretty decent finish too. It was fine. I, I had no problem with it. One of the things I have, I, I, I you know, I saw the replay, and they showed the replay like a thousand times. Like this is another one where we say replays are not always good. Like they could have shot this one in a much different way and made it look awesome, but they showed the replays, and it's like it just landed on like a big crash pad, <laughs> you know? Like because the crowd thought it was awesome, and and rightfully so. Like if you're not right there, you think he just just fucking power slammed him out of, in, into nowhere or whatever. But then they showed the replay a thousand times, and you just see a bunch of pads, and it's like don't you don't always have to show replay. Like sometimes it's better to just let it kind of stand on its own, and 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 better for the announcers to sort of say, "Oh my God, I can't believe he did that," and "Oh my Jesus, I can't believe." Oh my, but like we show the replays a thousand times, it kind of hurts a little, a little bit. So I think that was an issue there. But we'll move on here. Uh, triple Threat Tag Team Match, uh, SmackDown Tag Team Titles, The New Day, your new Tag Team Champions, they defeat the New Daniel Bryan and Rowan, as well as your guys, Heavy Machinery, Otis and Tucker. Notebook match. Look at that. You, you're, you're all in on Extreme Rules here. So uh, thoughts on the New Day winning the titles. Uh, cool with that, or, or do you not really care about SmackDown? Yeah, match? I don't. Yeah, how could you care about those titles? That doesn't matter to me. But um, the match itself was uh, very good. And the one thing I've learned watching Heavy Machinery on back-to-back pay-per-views is everybody talks about Otis. And for some reason, people really enjoy Otis. Otis, I cannot stand. He's one of my least favorite wrestlers in the history of professional wrestling. I have so much disdain for Otis. He just annoys me to no end. But I've kind of turned the corner on Tucker. Tucker's not bad. He looks like shit. He very badly needs a new look and a new gimmick, and he needs to get the hell away from Otis, or his career is going nowhere, because Otis's career is going nowhere. This guy's got something. I mean, he does things that a man his size shouldn't be able to do. He has surprising athleticism. He can move around. That's the other thing about Otis, Rich. Not only is Otis one of the most annoying personalities in the history of wrestling, can't take the guy with his stupid noises that come out of his yeah, mouth. It's like I don't, I know, I don't, I can't understand why people are still like, oh, it's hilarious. It's the same thing all the time. Like it just, he's an idiot. Like why? I, yeah, whatever. Why don't I get in the Otis his, show? It'll be another Otis show. We've done enough of the Otis show. Making his dumb faces and everything else, but the guy can't even move. Like, he can barely move. Like, he, he's he's not a good wrestler. He's not even close. He's a horrible wrestler on top of that. Uh, this Tucker can move a little bit, and and, and he's, he, he's a, a, a shockingly good athlete. And his two high spots the last two months on these shows have been the highlight high spot of each match for me. So I'm turning the corner on Tucker, of all people. But uh, I really enjoyed this. I went four flat on it. Doesn't matter to me uh, who 
wins these titles or doesn't win these titles because like most WWE titles, it doesn't make a difference either way. Right. But um, this match was uh, uh, very enjoyable. And um, now, you know, we'll see what they do with Daniel Bryan. Does he go back as a single? Does he, you know, do, 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 do he and Rowan continue to chase the New Day for these tag titles? Uh, so we'll see what they do with Daniel Bryan, who's at this point, I think we have to chalk up his run as a disappointment. Oh, I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then he, you know, on SmackDown teases a giant announcement, doesn't do anything. But, you know, cards are just changed. Joe, hey, anything can happen. We advertise stuff that we have no intention of delivering on. Yay. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what the next step is for him. I have no idea. He wrestles well. And I thought the heel turn initially was done well. And we praised it. And, you know, he goes out there and usually is involved in the best match on a lot of the shows that he's on. But um, are you excited to watch Daniel Bryan? No. Nah. He's not inspiring like confidence no. like he used to. Like that used to be a no doubter. Oh my god, Daniel Bryan's wrestling. He's in a big like he's been the my favorite part of the entire show. Now he's a great part of the show. He's a nice asset to the show, but in no way like a guy that you go out of your way to watch these days. He's just like yeah. he's there and it's fine. It's good, but it's not like oh yeah, man, Daniel Bryan rocks. Like I, I would never. There would be no conversation that anybody could have seriously of him being like one of the top wrestlers in the world, you know, nowhere, nowhere near like there, yeah. he's just not even in the same universe as guys right now, which sucks. Cause I think he's still capable of it, but I, I or maybe he's not, I don't know. I have no idea what to make of it, but uh, d- definitely disappointed for sure. I, I think he's capable of it, but um, you know, he's pushed as a mid card guy and um, they're not interested in, in doing anything with him, And, and you know, it's just a certain level to what I don't, it's just, I don't look forward to necessarily watching him wrestle. It's not like I don't want to watch him wrestle. I'm like, okay, Daniel Bryan's matches up, but I'm not like, uh, what, what are they doing with Daniel Bryan next month? And it really shouldn't be like that, you know. And it, his remember how excited we were for like right. he's just a guy. He's just a guy on the roster, and that's just like he's roster. too good to be just a guy. <laughs> Speaking of. AJ Styles, yeah, no, great, great one. <laughs> AJ Styles defeats Ricochet to win the U.S. title. So Ricochet wins the title. Uh, we can go a big moment. He gets the hug from Triple H. He gets all the standing ovation backstage. And then he loses to AJ Styles the next month at Extreme Rules. Uh, of course, AJ Styles accompanied by Gallows and Anderson as the club uh, now gets a little bit of their titles. But, uh, yeah, what would you think of AJ Styles and Ricochet? On first viewing, I fucking hated this because it is exactly what you don't want when you have AJ Styles versus Ricochet. You have AJ Styles versus Ricochet on a pay-per-view for a title. Uh, what you don't want to do with that is build the match around the club interfering at every turn right. and AJ Styles and Ricochet working at a snail's pace. That's like the complete opposite of what a logical human being would do if you're trying to get Ricochet over uh, as a potential new star. And, you know, this is not the way you would build this. Um, you know, or, or structure this match. So I hated it. Um, the second viewing, the work here was really, really good. And if I'm just grading them on the work they put in while telling a story that I had no use for, I can't bury them because the work really was solid. But I hated the structure of the match. I hated the story they told. I hated that. This is what they're doing with Ricochet. I mean, send these two guys out there and let them crush it and have the match of the night. And let people see what Ricochet can do. And give us this dream match. Throw us a bone. But they had to bog this down with WWE-style storytelling. And, uh, you know, it just it was more about the club getting in their cheap shots and ensuring and putting AJ Styles' leg up on the bottom rope when he was being pinned. And, you know, why are you doing that in an AJ Styles-Ricochet match? 
you know, and it's, it's like, that's totally not the way I would have done things. It's not the way you're going to get Ricochet over. And it's just disappointing, but I can't call it like a horrible match, but it didn't reach anywhere near the potential of what it could have been. Because now listen, I don't think AJ Styles is what he was. And I think we need to have a serious conversation. I think AJ Styles has been the same time last year too. And yeah. I, I can't believe there's still people that are like, ah, yeah. people get mad when you bring that up. And it's like, this guy's really not been good for two years now. The last two years, he hasn't been great. Now I think he can have a great match with Ricochet. I do. And they almost had one here despite all of the things that, that dragged it down because the work was solid and the finish with the, with the, uh, um, Styles Clash off the second rope was uh, uh, looked great and it looked dangerous and all those sorts of things, but um, the layout structure of this match just wasn't for me. So I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, grapple users, 3.46 for Ricochet AJ Styles. Where were you at? That's about where I'd put it, like three and a half. Or Which I guess, I mean, when, when you say those two names, that sh- I guess that's disappointing. Like three, uh, To it, me, it, three and a half star match on a, on a WWE pay-per-view is pretty good. In a vacuum, if it's not Ricochet and AJ Styles. So it's one of these things, again, like you go into it. I think if it was Wrestler X versus Wrestler Y and they had a three and a half star match, you'd come on here and say, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, but, but it's Ricochet and AJ Styles. You just expect more. And like you said, the story, too, of getting bogged down a lot with like the interference stuff. Because AJ's a heel now. And when you're a heel, you're a chicken shit. That's how they do it. You're, you know, you can't do you. Even though he was winning just fine for the last two years on his own. Now that you're a heel, you need to have the guys interfere for you. It's just the way they do it. So. Well, e- OK, even if you want to get this story over of the club being these assholes. Why not? Isn't a better way to tell that story. If you must tell that story is have these two guys go out there and fucking kill it. Right. Have this incredible match. And then when AJ is on the verge of losing, then screw over Ricochet. Isn't that a better story? If you Absolutely. must yeah. tell that story, because oh, sure. then that puts more heat on the heels anyway, rather than this cat and mouse game all match long where the announcers are just going on and on, oh, there's the club again, taking advantage of the referee turn. And it's like, it's just, yeah, the real heat is to have a fucking great, you know, 15 minute back and forth match. And then they just roll him out of there and he just takes the DQ or whatever, whatever you want to do to get him to win. Or yeah, the guys go interfere. You're trying to get the title over to AJ, of course. Yeah. Have the guys interfere. Like at the end of it is it's almost even more frustrating and even more heat. If after a great match, they do it as opposed to doing it two minutes into the match or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, so I don't know. This almost was to me like they laid this out the way they did on purpose to get Ricochet to slow down because you know how this company is. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, here's like, 16 minutes and you're going to have guys interfere, like, you know, learn how to work, kid. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see if this guy can work. You know, you could just, you almost, it's almost like it was intentional. What, instead of accentuating the strengths of the people you have, they always have to work against the grain. And sort of make people do what they're not great at and get over. And it doesn't make sense. They got to break you down to build you up in their head. But all they're doing is breaking down. (laughs) They're not building anybody up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They forgot the very important part of that is that you need to, uh, you know, build them up. I mean, why not put Ricochet out there and let him do what has gotten him over all over the world? It doesn't make any fucking sense. But. You know it. Uh, Kevin Owens defeats Dolph Ziggler in 17 seconds. Let's see if your review of the match is longer than the match itself. Wait, hold on. I'm going to get a timer out. All right. You want me to cut oh. you off at 17 seconds exactly? Well, the thing about this one is... People... Oh, no, 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 no. All right, you ready? Uh, we're, we're really going to time me. Huh? We're do it. All, right. All right. It's going to be longer, I can promise right. you. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Okay, so the thing about this one is there are people who are legitimately upset that Kevin Owens is using the Stone Cold Stunner. 
which is patently absurd. And, uh, you know, people borrow and use moves from the past all the time in pro wrestling, so they need to get over it. Is that it? That's it. That's it. You had 15 seconds. There you I go, man. The clock. There you go. There you go. So 17 just passed. There it is. Well, beat the clock challenge. That'd be tough to follow up. So this is a beat the clock challenge for you. But uh, yeah, it's fucking dumb. Whoever says that. <laughs> okay. Who gives a shit? Whatever. Anyway, uh, Kofi Kingston defeating Samoa Joe for the uh, WWE Championship. Of course, Kofi Kingston retaining the WWE title here. So we talked about Samoa Joe kind of winning up to a WWE title shot. But uh, I think this was kind of another definitive win for Kofi. But I think we're going to have to have a conversation about this Kofi reign, too. I mean, we've been talking about Seth, and we'll talk about him in a bit in terms of, you know, maybe it not quite working. And we've kind of we've left Kofi out of that for a lot, too. But I don't know. Was the Kofi thing working? What, what, what were you feeling after this match? Of course it's not. Um, along with Seth and Becky, business fucking tumbled as soon as they belted all three of them up. And Kofi just is not delivering. Uh, you know, his title defense, you know, he had the awful Dolph Ziggler cage match. He had this completely forgettable Samoa Joe match. Uh, look, he's not having great matches. He's having barely passable matches in his title defenses. He's doing nothing for business. And, um, you know, it, 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 he is not having a great title run, no. I don't think that in any way, shape, or form you can say that this guy's having a good title run. I'd love to hear the argument for it because I, I genuinely don't think there is one. All right, Joe, last chance, winner-take-all, Extreme Rules mixed tag team match for both the WWE Universal Championship and the WWE Raw Women's Championship. Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch defeat Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans, the... Uh, most awkward, <laughs> least chemistry couple in the universe uh, retains here. 19 minutes and 55 seconds. What do you think of this last chance? Winners take all. Extreme rules. Mixed match. Tag, tag team was, match. Whatever. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I mean, it was a lot better than last month's the stopping ground main event. Um, I wasn't. It wasn't offensive watching this. It wasn't anything great, and it wasn't terrible. It kind of just existed. And um, the finish was, you know. What needs to be talked about is Baron Corbin hitting the end of days on Becky Lynch, which to my knowledge is the first time that there's been male on female violence in the WWE. And I can't remember the last time they've done it. Am I forget? Quite a while. Yeah. Back, that, I mean, you got to go back to Attitude Era stuff. I mean, you got to go back to, you know, Randy Orton hitting a RKO on Stephanie or whatever. Randy Orton, I, I, maybe she punted, he punted Stephanie, right? I forget exactly what happened. I think he punted Stephanie or RKO'd her or something like that. I mean, that's, that's honestly the last one I remember. I'm sure there's been something before that. But yeah, we're, 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 Diving back pretty far. We're, we're, did, we're 10 years, pretty much, probably, at this point. When did Jericho punch Shawn Michaels' wife? Uh, that would have been in the build towards SummerSlam, I want to say 2007. No, I think that's even back in, like, 2007. Let me let me find out if I'm correct there. That'd so, be, I mean, uh, there's that. Um, on that but. And he potatoed her and that. And he, like, he, he legitimately hit her, which, uh, you know, he didn't mean to, obviously. But, uh, but anyway, the point here is you don't see – uh, male-on-female violence in WWE with the PG product and appealing to sponsors and all those sorts of things. And uh, you uh, 2008, got- 2008. Okay. One year off. And as a result, the crowd popped like a motherfucker. For that. They couldn't believe that Baron Cor- And that just goes to show the old wrestling rule. You know, if you do things sparingly, it'll get a tremendous reaction. And they were just stunned to see Baron Corbin uh, hit the end of days on Becky Lynch. That took her out of the match. And then Seth Rollins snapped seeing his uh, quote-unquote girlfriend uh, getting attacked. <laughs> I, like I like the quote-unquote there. Uh, they, they're not fucking. Are you official? Are you official on they're not fucking? I'm with you. They're not fucking. And 
if they are fucking, I am also with you. It's terrible sex. Like yeah, it's just atrocious. Yeah, because both of them are two. They're, they're both very attractive people, and it's obvious that yeah, they they just need to work on. Uh, they they can both do better. I think if 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 this is what it is, yeah, I don't even know if it's so much that they just there's zero chemistry. No, they're just dorks. Yeah, they're just like and the worst too. And the thing that makes me think that they're not fucking is that Seth Rollins makes sure to let you know that they're fucking. You know what I mean? Like the guy, you, everybody has a buddy who tells you how much the guy who tells you how much sex he has more than not is probably not having that much sex. Right. Well, Becky did it too. Becky, someone put out a tweet. She, um, someone put out a tweet that said something like, um, Seth Rollins really got fucked tonight or something over some angle. And then she replied, yes, he did. Like implying that. Yeah, like, right. Which means they're not having sex. Cause nobody having sex says that. I just feel like they have no chemistry and it's just all too convenient that they're doing a storyline. And I wasn't really with you on this conspiracy, but now I'm with you. I don't, I don't negative chemistry, man. Just negative chemistry. Again, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not, but if it is true, it needs to stop right away. It's fun to talk about and mock. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if there are fucking, I guess good for them. Those crazy kids, uh, you know, get it while you can. I don't know what to say, but uh, yeah. So he snaps. Because his girlfriend was assaulted, I go. Although technically it was within the rules, right? So I guess um, I don't know. I, 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 who knows what the rules were? Were they allowed to attack each other from an intergender perspective? I have no clue. I, I think technically um, no, because that's how mixed. But it's only because mixed tag team matches in WWE have never said that. But like, it's one of these deals where they could just change that right away. Like they could right, have but like, it's extreme rules. It is extreme. It is extreme. So I don't know how much you follow rules. Uh, in, in extreme rules mix. It means there's no match, rules, so. right? It means there's no rules. I guess. So there's got to be some rules, right? Weren't they <sighs> waiting on the tag ropes? They were, they were waiting to tag in, though. So they had they to were in the opener. They were in the opener briefly. God, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no holds barred. Oh, <laughs> reaching out for the tag. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Um, but that's that logic that you can't you can't have that if you're going to watch WWE because you're just going to drive yourself. Back no, you can't. You just got to turn your brain off. It's 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 wrestling for stupid assholes. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's wrestling for stupid. Assholes. I think that's how they pitched Fox too. I believe was yeah. hey, we're wrestling for stupid assholes. We have a perfect product for you for stupid assholes, and Fox is like, well, that'll work because there's a lot of stupid assholes who will watch such a thing. Um, so he snaps and he attacks Baron Corbin. Uh, viciously with uh, Singapore canes and chairs and basically destroys the man into a puddle of goo and then puts him away, which was kind of a uh, cool finish. And then, of course, Brock cashes in. Well, he doesn't cash in. He comes down with Paul Heyman. He hits two German suplexes on the tired, winded, and exhausted Seth Rollins. Then Paul Heyman cashes in once it becomes a sure thing. And then he picks him up for the, the, uh, I guess, the academic F5 at that point just to put emphasis on it, Becky Lynch cannot help because she is still laid out from the end of days. So this was all laid out very well. Right. I will give them credit for that. And, um, you know, I guess Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans are just laying on the floor somewhere, hiding out of sight while all this is going on. Or they limped to the back. Uh, but uh, Brock is now your uh, universal champion. And I got to tell you, Rich, I have no problem with it. Yeah, we're going to have to unfortunately get to that uh, conversation here in a bit. Do you have any issue with, before we get talk about Brock, uh, uh, winning the title. Do you have any issue with Seth Rollins being beaten in 17 seconds? Not because he was... Because it, it's a different story if the cash-in happens and Seth Rollins has been beaten down and put through a table or whatever, and then Brock comes in, rolls him up, does an F5 and pins him. But, like, he just attacked Seth. Like, Seth was at his best power, right? Like, he was he was emotionally distraught because Becky got punched or, or, or hit or whatever. But do you think that that 
I don't know. How do you, did he put Seth and makes him kind of look like a geek because he wasn't like it wasn't like he was down. He was just kind of like. I don't know, he just got attacked and beaten in 17 seconds, right? No, I see what you're saying, but no, because it was a long, grueling match with weapons. and um, He was, he was. it's hard to explain, but to me, he was physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the story they were telling. And that Brock absolutely took advantage of all of that and still hit the Germans before he cashed in to truly ensure that he was going to win it. So, I don't know, it didn't really make Seth Seth makes himself look like a geek. First of all, <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Um, no, the way this played out, no, it didn't. But listen, all of these cash ins to me make the guy who win look like more of a geek. Like you have to use this, you know, shitty shortcut to get the job done. You know what I mean? It's like th- that whole thing. Garrett Kidney wrote the article that everybody needs to read. Yeah, voiceofwrestling.com just about how terrible the money in the bank cash-in is. It just needs to go away because it's like, you know, the cash-ins have become a handicap almost. And a lot of times they're just done in this manner. Like, And then if someone just cashes in and says, okay, I want a match and I'm cashing in to get – then they look like an idiot because it's like why would you not take advantage of the huge advantage that it gives you? It just never works, and it's time for it to go away. But you get the sense that they love it. They love the idea that the fans are always wondering when it's going to come. So I don't think it's going anywhere. But um, as far as Brock, look, any other time in the history of wrestling, the Seth Rollins title reign would be considered an absolute, utter failure. Business tanked immediately. When the man won the title, never recovered. His main event last month was an embarrassment. The television follow-ups to that main event uh, were an embarrassment from a business perspective. House shows are still down. And on Thursday, this Thursday, we're going to find out whether the network, for the first time ever in the history of the network, had negative growth last quarter. And that was all on this guy's watch while he was on top. Okay? They are projecting... And they have already warned investors, basically, that they feel like the network is going to have negative growth for the first time last quarter while this guy was champion. And Kofi and Becky, for that matter. Okay, so any other time in history, you would view this title reign as a complete and utter failure. So why are we not viewing this as the complete and utter failure that it was? Now, listen, is it all his fault? No. This company has a lot of other problems, and it's always bigger than one person now. This isn't like Hulk Hogan being responsible for business in 1986. I get it. But with that said, these three people that they're pushing have done nothing to stop the fall, let alone turn it around. So I have no problem taking the title off this guy and putting it back on Brock Lesnar and trying something different. So um, no issue with that. Seth's run um, just wasn't good. Yeah, and we're we're probably not the show to get really mad about it. But it's it's like like you said, we're we're pretty pro, you know, pro Brock. So yeah, again, like we're not the ones that are going to get super upset about it. But um, it's it it's like you said, there, there are business reasons, and and it, there's stuff that you could point to to say it's it just probably really wasn't working. And like I don't know, it might go back to Seth eventually, and I don't know what the hell the long term story is. But like it just it just wasn't working. So it's like you know, let me <laughs> let, let me put it to you this way: even if you don't want to blame Seth. For the business declines, the across the board business declines. Okay. 
what you can't do on the flip side is point to any sort of success that right. There's nothing positive. If you if your rebuttal is no, he wasn't the business, then okay, what what show me the positives of him? And it's like there are none. Yeah, (laughs) he's not knocking it out of the park in the ring. Um, I get it. He has horrible opponents. Okay, I I, I understand that. But it's like people who want to say, oh well, how can he be expected to draw? when his opponent is Baron Corbin. Well, here's the thing. The very first Raw after he won the title from Brock, before they booked him to do anything, was an absolute ratings disaster of epic proportions. If anyone was interested in Seth Rollins, that Raw would have done well. There was less interest in WWE coming off of the results of WrestleMania. It's inarguable. And to me, that's a huge demerit against Seth, Kofi, and Becky. The very first Raw was a Seth Rollins-Kofi Kingston unification match for the third hour, which never happened because they bait and switched. But people turned out in droves. That was an enormous red flag for what was to come. Nobody wants to hear it, but you're going to hear it on this show because we tell it like it is. Seth Rollins and Kofi Kingston, people weren't interested. It's a hard pill to swallow if you're fans of either one of them. But people simply weren't interested in those two guys on top. And Becky lost a shit ton of momentum going into WrestleMania, and her terrible match didn't help her either. So, I don't know. I, maybe people don't like hearing that, but... Yeah, no, it is what it is. I, would I... And you would talk to me this... I mean, you and I had this conversation, God, a few months ago where you were saying, hey, would you take the titles off these guys? And I said you kind of have to stick with them, I think, for now because you're in such... You need to develop new stars and you need to develop new people. And I still stand by that. Like, I don't know if this is the right time to take it off of Seth Rollins. Like, I don't know that I would do this. I don't know if Brock Lesnar is really my answer uh, because he just can't always be your answer. Like, at some point, Brock has to not be your answer. You know, in this show, you're you're talking about it. This, you know, Undertaker's in the opener because he's, you know, selling tickets and he's, you know, a, a big deal. And, and Brock Lesnar's walking out, it's, you know, as champion. And people were kind of comparing this to a few years ago. I think it was in Extreme Rules 2016 where it's almost these exact same scenario where, you know, Bray Wyatt and Finn Balor are feuding. Brock Lesnar w- walks out as champion after a, a cash-in or something. Like, it was just like there were so many things there. Like, Jesus, it's the same thing over and over and over. I'm not going to defend the Seth thing, but I don't know, even though I like Brock, I don't know if I would go back to Brock right away because it's just, it's just been done so much. And I'm just, I'm curious what they're going to do to make this feel any differently uh, than what they've done over the last few years with Brock holding that title. And maybe they're not, maybe they're not going to do anything because he does deliver ratings. And I think that's all they're, I guess, worried about right now. But it's like, at some point you got to build somebody else. Like you can't just keep relying on these same guys over and over and over again. Well, I think now what you do is, you build towards Roman beating Brock at WrestleMania. And I know we feels like we've been down oh, that <laughs> again. All right, you're right. You're right. But, 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 let's, but hear me out. They finally gave Roman the big win over Brock and then illness took him out of the picture. So don't you deserve, doesn't he deserve a fair shake? I mean, cause where else are you going to turn? That's bad though. <laughs> That's really bad. Listen, but, I'm not saying it's going to work, right? It could work. Maybe coming off, you know, the cancer and maybe coming in with a clean slate and he's been kept strong for the most part, other than losing to Shane McMahon in the squash in Saudi Arabia, he's been booked pretty good. And you've built him back up to finally get that definitive WrestleMania main event 
clean in the middle win over Brock Lesnar and then give him, finally give him a run off of that that he never really had a chance to have after losing to Brock all of those times. And then when he finally got him, outside the ring stuff forced forced it back away from him. And, and that, you know, we never got to see how that would have played out with the fan. Well, look, I don't think that would have caught on. I didn't feel like he had any kind of special momentum when he beat Brock last time. But I feel like that's the play here. Unless you have another idea. To me, that's the play. I don't mind that idea. It's just, to me, it, I, I think that's fine. I think you're right that they don't have much else, but I think that's a more glaring thing is that it's like, all right, go back to Roman and Brock. Like, you know, and I, I don't think that, again, I don't think that's the wrong story. I think it actually is a good story. But the idea that, like, I can't off the top of my head come up with a better scenario for WrestleMania than Brock versus Roman is probably a bigger issue. You know, and, and that's and we're not going to get into that today because there's so much else to go through. But like, that's a bigger issue to me is that it's just like what the fact that they have to keep going back to Brock Lesnar, the fact that they keep having to go back to the Undertaker, the fact that the only scenario that we can really play out right now in our heads that make any sense is Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. Like that to me, there's a lot of again, like you have all this talent and all this roster, and it's just like the same guy, whatever. And not the show for this, but. Yeah. It is to me that's to, you're not wrong in, in the Roman Brock thing, but the fact that that is the right call and the, the justifiable call is, is to me that's pretty telling. So, yeah, that's I awesome. hear you. yeah, I hear you. So, that was extreme rules. Let's stick in WWE land though, because uh, there was a great show this weekend that maybe flew under the radar a little bit, but probably should not. And that is Evolve 131, Joe. Uh, July 13th, so it was the day before uh, Extreme Rules from Philadelphia from the 2300 Arena, the former ECW Arena. Evolve 131, Joe, this show fucking rocked. I am all in on Evolve being on the WWE Network from here on out. It was so easy to watch, so convenient, and God, I love this show. This is a great show. This is the show of the weekend. And once again, the third review this week brought to you by our friends at Grapple. So download the app. We've told you how to do it three times now. You should probably figure it out. There's no E. You got it? So, uh, yeah, Evolve 131. Uh, I agree. I enjoyed this show more than I enjoyed Fight for the Fallen or Extreme Rules. Um, it probably wasn't better than the one G1 show. I get them all mixed up now. Um, but as far as the American shows and even maybe one of the – G1 shows, this was better than, than all of those, I thought. Because top to bottom, I thought this show was solid. There were no weak points. I thought everything on the show landed. And there were legitimately two or three matches that I thought were pretty great. So um, I thought this was a home run. And yeah, I really, really, really hope that Evolve just ends up on the network. Um, because I think that would be great for everyone involved. The fans... For the Evolve wrestlers, for uh, you know Gabe Spolsky, for fucking Lenny Leonard, everyone. And Lenny Leonard was great on this oh, show. Oh, he was so goddamn good. It was great. We talked about last week that it was awesome to see him in the spot. He fucking knocked it out of the park. As a solo play-by-play guy for three hours, which he is, it's not rare for him. He does it all the time. But doing it on such a big moment and getting big moments over and, and being able to sort of tell the story of Evolve and how important each match is while also sticking with the current storylines, giving you the background. He is so good. That's the guy to get AEW. Just poach him, but don't poach him. because Well, I think he's pretty good at, at Evolve, but he's a guy. I, I, he's just, he's awesome. He's one of the best to do it in the game right now. You know what I really liked about this show outside of the wrestling was this was an Evolve show. They didn't 
dress it up with WWE production. They didn't like they didn't treat the viewer like they didn't reintroduce everything. Right. They didn't hit a reset button. They did little things like again, Lenny Leonard was phenomenal in getting the storylines over and explaining to you why the matches were happening without treating you like a second grader or like you've never seen wrestling before. Right. Oh, what they could have done, honestly, I was kind of worried that they were going to lead off the show with like, hi, we're Evolve Wrestling. Here's what we do exactly. at Evolve Wrestling. Yeah. We're and- not quite WWE, but we're pretty close. Like the guys you're going to see here are, you know, they're not the biggest stars in the world, but they're getting there. Like I thought it would be that sort of undermining thing. But no, right out of the gates, it's like, this is fucking Evolve. Let's go. Like They did the thing where everyone was in the ring, but it's like, again, they didn't hammer you over the head with it. And... They had their little video packages before some of the matches, which caught you up. Lenny Leonard did a great job explaining everything without holding your hand. It's like he would explain why the match is happening, and then that was it. And then he just called the match. And and it was it was Evolve's production, for better or worse, and I thought it came off well. I thought it looked good. Like the, for all the 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 possible hand wringing about like oh man, Evolve's going to stick out like a sore thumb if they're now not every arena is going to look as good as this arena looked, and that's going to be an issue for Evolve because they run some real bad arenas here and there, uh, and maybe that's going to be something they're going to have to think about you know moving forward. But if it's going to look like this, this doesn't look out of place on the WWE Network. Not with all the stuff they have in the vault. Not with all the stuff. I mean, I don't think like a normal episode of NXT looks all that much better than this. Like again, they're going to run some real shitty venues. They do that, but. If they do run good venues and keep them well lit and and make everything look pretty good, have the audio sound pretty good, which they did on the show, it'll be fine. But I didn't think it stuck out like a sore thumb on the WWE Network. Like a lot and of people I, did worry. And I don't want WWE production. No. I get enough of that with WWE. So I, I don't want that. I don't want them to come in and make it glossy like and, and with all the primary I don't I don't want WWE production. So I'm glad that it was kind of hands off. They basically just transmitted a fucking evolve show over their network which is exactly what they should have done. And, um, you know, I, I really think the entire crew did a tremendous job and everything landed. And it's like, I know a lot of our listeners don't really pay attention to Evolve anymore. I, you know, have watched most, but not all of the shows since the reboot. And this is really what Evolve has been doing. They've been having nice little shows like this that nobody's paying attention to. So, this was not outside the norm either, which I think is an important point to note. So um, let's go through it. They opened up with everybody in the ring, and then Josh Briggs was kind of just pacing in the background. You saw him kind of chomping at the bit. And then uh, he wanted Anthony Green right then and there, so uh, the ring cleared. They did a quick little angle where Harlem Bravado uh, kicked the ropes on. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. To put a little heat on their match that was coming up later, yeah, Shotzi and and, uh, and 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 Brandy at each other's throats during the entire. So they didn't like without ever saying, "Hey, these people hate each other." You knew that these people hated each other. Exactly. You knew that Harlem Bravado was an asshole. That yep. Stephen Wolf was like the the baby face that was getting fucked over by the asshole. Then you had Brandy and 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 Shotzi. You knew that these two girls wanted to kill each other. It's like, all right, cool. That's it. great storytelling. Just have people look like they're angry at each other. Not that hard. Yeah. So Briggs wrestled Green. I am not big on green's gimmick um it's nah. just a little goofy it's not for me i totally understand why he got an evolved contract though i get it it's just not my bag uh, briggs is a guy who 
some people are high on, some people are not so high on. I think he's a lock to end up in WWE. Um, he's got the size, and I happen to think he's pretty good in the ring. He is coming off that hip injury, but you wouldn't know it. Um, I saw some people didn't like his performance, but I thought he was he was fine here, and I thought this match was fine. It was a decent enough opener, somewhere in the three range, and I didn't have any problem with it. Yeah, I went three flat with this. I thought Briggs was good here. I'm going to talk about Briggs a little bit later. Where I think it didn't quite work here, but I think he was he was he was fine here, but maybe not to the level that they wanted to. I think they, given what happened later in the show, they wanted him to come off like a superstar here. I don't think yeah. he came off like a superstar. I think he just came off like a good guy, like a good hand right now. And and they obviously have much higher hopes for him. But I went three flat with it. I enjoyed it. So we had the four way with uh, Harlem Bravado, Kurt Stallion, Sean Maluda, and Stephen Wolf. And like I said, they put a little bit of heat on this in the opening segment of the show. Wolf ends up winning the match. I did not know that he's an evolved contract guy. I last week I think I said that he was just an indie guy who was working. No, but he is. He's got an evolved contract now. Uh, you've seen more Wolf than I have. I think he looked pretty good here. He's mm-hmm. a guy that has some upside. Harlan Bravado is. Uh, a good, solid veteran indie hand. Is that fair? Absolutely. I think that's the fairest way to describe I mean, old Harlan. I, mean, I don't have a problem with him. I mean, he's not going to knock your socks off, but he's fine. You know, and, and he's the kind of guy who could hold a match like this together. Kurt Stallion, my man needs to eat a cheesesteak or two. Oh, it's just like protein shakes, man. Like he's and this guy, like I get it. Like there was a few years ago. I think I first time I saw him live was like two years ago. And I was like, look, all right, he's whatever age. He's still the same size. Like, come on, man. Like, I'm not a body guy in wrestling, but you cannot look like Kurt Stallion and make me believe that you're a viable threat. You I'm gotta not have you gotta be Batista. I'm not saying, but you gotta have you gotta be more than 130 pounds soaking wet. Like, you can't. And he's just got like long arms and a lanky body. Like, if you have that sort of body, you gotta put a little mass on, man. You know, just something, just anything. You can't be as skinny as you are. It's just, it's, it's, it's a bad look. You know, I, look, I like Kurt Stallion enough. I mean, there's things about him I like. I got to be honest. He was the indiest looking guy on the show. Uh, just the, the total package. And that oh, is- for sure. No, there was there was a time. I think he what, he came out with Matt Riddle. And it yeah. was like, you have Gulak, who's like, you know, who's awesome. Gulak rules. And then Matt Riddle, who's like, the, the, like a million fucking bucks. Matt Riddle comes out there and he's a god. And then you have this geek behind him, Kurt Stallion. It was just like, oh, man. Like you said, the indiest indie guy that was on the show far and away especially and this, that was was just like telling it's like oh jesus <laughs> and and this is a show with joe gacy and jd drake right so um you know and maluda is part of kingston's crew now but uh steven wolf wins a four-way and uh you know this is what a four-way should be bunch of crazy spots and i this was enjoyable it, it entertained me yeah, I went three and a quarter with this. Uh, Grapple users 2.91 for this. So they oh, also. Oh, God, they're out of their minds. They're out of their minds. What do you want out of this? I mean, do, do you expect this to be Masawa Kawada, for God's sake? 2.91's fine. I went three and a quarter. What do you, what do you want there? What do you want? What, do you want? what rate not, do you want out of people? This should not be below three. Okay. I, I, you I'm with you on that. That's fair. You know, I don't get wound up over ratings typically. I, I really don't. But that's a joke to me. What do you expect this to be? I mean, they went out there and killed it. They did a bunch of dives. I mean, what do you want out of this? People got to lighten up. I mean, really, I, I don't know why this is setting me off. <laughs> yeah, this is the match. That- <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not like a two-and-a-half-star match. It's not. Yeah. I, I, that, that pisses me off. Anyway, we had Arturo Huas against Anthony Henry. I love this Huas repackage. Um, it's unique. I like the way he, uh, he, he stalks around the ring with that sort of Brazilian fighting style and the weird stance that he takes. Anthony Henry's a guy who 
man, if he was 10 years younger, you know, because he's a little older than you think he is. Doesn't mean that he should be completely written off. But um, and, and he is a guy that they seem to like and that they push. And um, But man, if he would have just caught on a little bit sooner in his career, because there's something there with him. But uh, I really enjoyed this because I like both guys. And again, this was a show where, to me, everything landed right where it should have landed. Okay, These weren't a bunch of four-star matches, but these were a bunch of good, entertaining, fun pro wrestling matches that made the show fly by. Absolutely. No, and the match time, too. We'll get to that uh, in a bit, or I guess I could get into it now. That opener, 11 minutes. Match after that, 9 minutes. Match after that, 9 minutes. Match after that, 9 minutes. 3 minutes, 5 minutes, 13, 16, 13. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> like, in and out in two and a half, two forty-five, three hours. Nothing overstated. It's welcome. Everything was exactly the right time it was going to be. I didn't – I always say this. I never finished – I didn't finish a single one of these matches and said, God, I wish that just went 10 more minutes. God, I wish that was just 20 minutes longer. Like, no, not a single time did I say that during this match. And maybe it, it, it created a situation where not one match was, like, incredible – Oh my God, match of the year contender, but that's that's fine. Like if you're not, if it, I'm fine with just wrestling shows where everything's good, you'll create special. This was one of those where everything, as I was kind of punching in ratings on Grapple, I was like, yeah, three, three and a quarter, three and a half, three and a quarter, three and a half, three and a half, three, and a half, three, three. Like everything was a three and, abo- and above for me. I love that, and I like a show like that. I like a show where nothing is bad, everything's solid enough, and it gets you know it doesn't you know be there for four and a half hours watching it. So I I, I really enjoyed that, and I'm I'm mad at you for not telling me the Zuas thing was as cool as it was. Why did you not tell me he was out here doing? shoot style brazilian grappling like what come on listen man you need to subscribe to the wwn live uh service like i do and uh watch the evolve shows i'm not gonna hold your hand okay you're missing out you should have told me this though I, I i watched this guy come out and i'm like oh yeah this guy and then he's just out there you know throwing kicks i'm like hey well, fuck yeah this match rocked it was nine minutes of like shoot style like kicks and punt and i like this match a ton i can't and believe you didn't tell me about this who asked before so that's, you that's should watch he wrestled riddle on nxt this week and it was very similar oh okay i'll definitely check that out then check that out too yeah the guys are because he's different he's different yeah it's just a different vibe and that's what i liked about this so far so you had briggs and green which was its own little vibe you have the the the, the second match where guys are just jumping all over the ring and doing all the fun stuff and you have this third match which is completely different than that it's more shoot style more grapple based more more strikes and that sort of stuff so it's cool to see that different and and that's good booking by them too they made three the first three matches all feel and look a lot different too which is i think important yeah so the no dq match brandy lauren and shotzi blackheart they wore street clothes rich oh yeah we got some knee pad knee pads over the jeans which uh, we always enjoy. I think Shotzi had like a, she was wearing, I think it was like a, some sort of tights or something. And they were tucked into her jeans as well. <laughs> like she wore yeah. like wrestling tights, but then chucked those into the jeans too, which I appreciate. So yes. And they worked their asses off. They really did. Am I going to sit here and tell you that this was the greatest plunder match I've ever seen? No, yeah. I'm not going to tell you. That. Oh, no, you're not. Okay. Uh, am I going to tell you that this was the match of the night? No, I'm not going to tell you that, but can I sit here and tell you that I didn't enjoy the fuck out of this? This greatly exceeded my expectations. I had no idea what Brandy Lauren could bring to the table. Uh, I know that Shotzi Blackheart fucking ate it into that stack of chairs. Oh How my about God, that? what a spot. I'm watching a video of it right now. <laughs> I just gotta keep repeating it and repeating it. Man, did she. Oh, wow. This was two wrestlers. God. This was two wrestlers who knew they were in the biggest match of their life and grabbed it by the throat and went out there and killed themselves and worked their ass off. And I respect the fuck out of that because it delivered. And I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm curious what grapple went on this one. Yeah, so one thing I did want to point out about this match, like you said, they busted their ass, and there's not everything landed, and there was one spot, too, 
that that, that they re- and I felt so bad because the match was really like it was almost not perfect. Perfect is not the right word for it, but like everything was going exactly how they wanted it to go. And I think that the the idea was that Shotzi was gonna like go to the so she had she had Brandy in like a kind of a like a side headlock, and then she was gonna go up onto the like the the ring post and like kind of flip over Brandy and 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 God only knows what she was gonna do there. Well, it didn't work out. And and what I love though is that they didn't go and and the worst thing we talk about all the time the worst thing you can ever do is go back to the spot again. And these two people who are not like longtime veterans like I I, I know Shotzi obviously she's been wrestling in Chicago for years and years and years, but not like what I consider like a real cagey vet right is that safe to say Shotzi Blackheart not a cagey vet and Brandy Lauren not a cagey vet either but they didn't go back to the spot they went to and completely something different completely different they said all right fuck it we're not gonna be able to do the spot it's probably not gonna work it's gonna look stupid if we do it again let's get away from it and I was like yes like what ended up being a botch ended up almost working because they didn't go back to it because they decided all right now fuck it so brandy just kind of acted like she you know used her power against you know shotzi and then shotzi kind of put her head into the apron if i remember correctly so it was like they worked it out perfectly and then you forgot that the, the, the botch even happened two minutes later what i think is masterful because the worst thing you can do and the thing that makes everybody say hey this was a botch is that you go back and try the move again because it's just it, the believability goes out of the window right away so so good on them to do that i think that was really one of the things that stood out to me is that a botch that could have really dragged the match down ended up not being an important part of it whatsoever. So uh, real good there. But yeah, so uh, as far as grapple users, um, I went three flat. They went 2.97. Does that get you? That's like an absolute joke. You got to be <laughs> kidding me. I mean, people are going to think I'm doing a gimmick here, but I'm not. That infuriates me because they worked way too hard and that match had way too much action to go that low. That cannot be below three stars. That's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. It's it, that's an embarrassing rating, and I never get wound up about this stuff. But uh, but that's a joke, and 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 and, and to ma- feed off the point you just made, that also works in the no DQ setting where you just scrap the spot. It looks it looks rough around the edges like it should. And uh, Anthony Henry in the previous match, he whiffed on a tornado DDT and redid the spot, so yes. he did the exact yeah, opposite right, of what we're right. talking about. But uh, yeah, that's that's disgrace that rate. I, I don't understand. <laughs> See, if if you're not on grapple, you're not grapple and make sure this rating gets better. So there you go. No, but seriously, I don't understand. It's like, what do people want out of this stuff? I mean, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why people are so, you know, if a match entertains you, look, like again, I don't think it's a match of the year contender. <laughs> but what was wrong with it? I don't understand. I, it makes, I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so we'll move on here. Uh, it was uh, Babatunde defeating Colby Carino. Yeah, so this guy's getting called up any day now because just look at him. You got to keep this guy away from Vince. Uh, you know, Vince is gonna fucking love. They they have to keep him on evolve. Keep him wherever he's never gonna watch because the second this guy, remember it happened to Braun Strowman that Braun Strowman was not ready to come up when he came up all those years ago. They put him into the, the Wyatt family or whatever, and he wasn't ready. And he, he eventually got ready, and he's he's obviously turned into a pretty good roster hand there. But the second, and everybody knew, the second Vince would have would see Braun Strowman, he would want him up there immediately, and that's going to happen with Babatunde as well. They need to keep him as far away from Vince's eye as possible. Yeah, so this was exactly what we thought it would be. Uh, squash match, Babatunde getting over as a big guy. But the highlight here to me was Eddie Kingston coming out and cutting that promo. Oh, so Babatunde. good. His, his PG-rated promo. I like that he comes down. Hey, Colby, you all right? All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just, like, yeah he's just, he he just, doesn't really care about Colby Carino, but he's got to be like, hey, yeah, you good? All right, you're good. All right, get out of here. <laughs> he is one of the best promos of this era. So good. There's no question about it. He is that good. And – he did it clean, and he didn't yeah. come off like a cornball. No, it. not at all. And he's a guy like we always. The, the old wrestling term was talk you into the building. Eddie Kingston is that guy. 
Yeah. Like I was ready for this match. I mean, he cut that promo at the beginning talking about the, you know, the, the, the crew, he cuts his promo before this. I am, I, I just, you just get so excited. The thing is, I don't really love his wrestling. I think there's, there's been some hits or misses and, and some of the stuff he's been doing lately. I enjoy more than others. We'll talk about this match here, but that you cannot question that that dude gets you ready for a match like nobody else. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's just a tremendous, tremendous promo. And I always go back and point to that Chikara promo from what was the name of that high show? noon high noon right high, that high noon promo by eddie kingston is legitimately in the pantheon of great interviews right up there in my top five of all time that high noon promo it is that good pause this podcast and youtube that motherfucker right now and you will want to yeah, let, me, let me make sure you can still see it people have already paused and found it but uh, for those that haven't i think it is still it's up there it should be. It's yeah, just, just type in Eddie Kingston High Noon, you'll find it right away. So That promo will have you standing up and ready to get on your hands and knees and crawl like he says he's going to do to Philadelphia to wrestle that match. It is just it, 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 it's just an incredible promo. But, uh, but yeah, this was a great promo too. And one thing, this led to, of course, the Skulk winning the tag team titles from Kingston and Gacy. And this, to me, is a good time to bring up the booking decisions on this show were perfect. Everyone that should have won on this show won. This was the time to give the Skulk their moment and win these tag team titles. And, uh, you know, it led to that great celebration. And I'm watching the Skulk, who we all love. Everybody loves the Skulk. I'm watching this and thinking to myself, if by chance Vincent K. McMahon is watching this show, he wants these guys tomorrow. How can you not want this act on your television? This skulk is outstanding. Now look, I love him. Yeah. The problem have you, is, have you ever been to a live match with them? Yes. You'll find yourself just uh, you hey, like you don't even try hey, it. Hey, yeah. <laughs> they're awesome, you know, and and it, it's just you know the energy that they bring to the table. And this was the first of three notebook matches for me. I thought this match was a shit ton of fun, exactly what it should have been, and and it hit. Every fucking note. And it had the perfect finish with the right winners. So, loved it. Loved the fact they did the title change here. What did you think of this? No, I think it was perfect. And, and like you said, the overarching thing about all the the, the, the booking in the show was, was perfect. And, yeah, this was a great opportunity for them to win because you wanted that big pop. You, they, they've been built up perfectly fine, too. Leon Ruff, it's a big moment for him, too. Air Fox is kind of the guy who, who you know, there's been some bumps along the road, but he's kind of an evolved guy. So I think like it being the 10th anniversary show, it's great for him to get that win there too. And it just, yeah, it made the crowd. It's the perfect result because the crowd is going to go nuts. And it just kind of kept them. It kept the crowd amped up the rest of the night from that on, then on forward. So yeah, it, it, it was definitely the right idea. Rough is a long-term project, but he clearly has a shit ton of upside. And um, you know, it, this was just, and Kingston and Gacy are like, the perfect foils for this promotion. These veteran guys, the gimmick that they are the unwanted because they've never been signed and never will be signed, which isn't entirely true because Eddie Kingston was with TNA and all that. But I guess, you know, it's fucking TNA. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's a great gimmick. It's a great stable. Uh, they do great work. And, and 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 I love this match. If Grapple went any lower, if they went any I, lower. I might, just, I might just lie to you. <laughs> If this is any lower than three and a half, I'm going to lose my mind. Because right. how could you not fucking think this is like a three and a half star match? 
All right. I'm not going to grade go. 0. 0.09. I was going to say. I, I was worried. Yeah, but. But that's fair. I mean, I went four on it because I am an accurate star rater. But three and a half is fine. Look, if someone goes three and a half on this, I have no problem. That's why I, I went three and a half on the dot there. Too. I can't kill you for that. That's fine. I mean, because that means you thought it was a five minute match. It's a little over five minutes. It's like, you know, it's one of those things that was exactly what it needed to be, but it was a little over five minutes. It didn't reach, you know, that status for me quite. So you can't have a, a, a four star match that's under 10 minutes. No, no, you absolutely can, but it just, I don't know. It just didn't for me. This, this one wasn't. Okay. What's what was next? Uh, next was Matt Riddle defeating Drew Gulak. So we had a lot of discussion about this last week of who would win this match. You know, Drew Gulak's defending the Cruiserweight title the next night. Uh, if anybody, if Vince McMahon was watching, if WWE had any sort of control over the show, good chance that Drew Gulak's probably not going to lose. But Matt Riddle's a push NXT commodity. Who do you have win here? And they went with who I think was the right pick to win was Matt Riddle. Uh, so the idea that, if hey, is this covering WWE canon? Is this Evolve canon? It was much more Evolve. NXT cannon more than it was WWE cannon. So Matt Riddle gets the win here against Drew Gulak in a match that I thought fucking rocked. Match of the night for me. Oh my God. There were people who said they were disappointed in this. Oh, you're idiots. You're all dumb. This was great. I mean, what do you want? This they was. Want, they wanted 25 minutes out of these guys. It did not need to be 25 minutes. Again, 14 minutes. Perfect. No, this was a, this was a catch point match from 2015. This was totally evolved cannon. And yeah, and, and and I mean that's why that's why Riddle won, and Gulak won the next night against Nice, and he's fine. It's not going to hurt him, and no one cares about the cruiserweight title anyway. This was awesome. I couldn't believe the reactions I was seeing live. You're going, ah, it was kind of disappointing, three and a quarter. But I'm like, what are you watching? You can't you can't work a match better than this. This was two pros at the very top of what they do for a living, going out there and having a perfect pro wrestling. This was great. I couldn't believe some of the reaction. This is an easy notebook match for me. Um, not my match of the night, but not far off. Um, but I'm going to quit this fucking podcast if this one's below three and a half. <laughs> Don't worry. It's four. It's four. So. Okay. All right. So, I should give you lower so I can uh, have my Thursdays back, but that's all right now. It's <laughs> Jeez! Not that I don't. I like talking to you. You know, sometimes it gets a little. <laughs> anyway, no, that one. I went four and a quarter with this one too. Actually, I take it back. This was not my favorite match of the night because uh, the next match actually was one that I, in no universe, if you would have said, "Hey, Rich, what's going to be your favorite match on Evolve One Thirty One last week?" Would I have said Austin Theory versus JD Drake, uh, the winner take all for the WWN and Evolve Championships? But goddamn, this match fucking rocked. Four and a quarter. I went with this one. Where'd you go with Austin Theory and JD Drake? Four and a quarter out of me as well. Match of the night. This fucking ruled. Um, J.D. Drake is so good. I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where it's like his look almost works in his favor now because he's so good. And it's part of his aura and it's part of his appeal that he's this guy. Yeah, this, man. yeah, and that's how you should play it with a guy like this. He doesn't care how he looks. He doesn't care about fitness. He just wants to beat you up. And it's not even that he's a brawler. He's a great wrestler. He's very skilled. Um, and Austin Theory, who we have been hard on at times, who other people have been hard on at times and have, have written off. There are people who have written off and given up on this guy. Uh, he takes a ton of shit. People have to remember that he's tw- well, he's like 22 21. I think he's 21 right now. He's 21. And think of what you were doing at 21, Joe. <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's like not everyone – is going to be an out-and-out prodigy. We've seen 21-year-olds that are like, remember when Flamita was like 19? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, how is he this fucking good? And, you know, Will Ospreay, 
um, was probably better than this at the same age, even with the selling issues. And um, but I, maybe not much better. But um, it's like he's 21, and he was thrust into this spot um, way before he was ready, and he had some bumps in the road. But if you can't see the potential in Austin Theory, you have zero eye for talent. That's just the truth. And I'm saying this to all the people who are especially hard on him. It's like if you can't see that this guy is a potential future top guy in pro wrestling, and it's not a guarantee that he gets there, but if you can't see that that's the potential here and that there's potential to be, you know, a top worker and a star just on his look alone, then I don't know. You have no eye for talent. I, I don't know what else to tell you. And he's getting better. Every time I see him, he's getting better. And he's not some, you know, fucking once-in-a-lifetime prodigy like we've seen come down the line with some other people. He's not that. He is a work in progress. He was a little rough around the edges and still is in some ways. But if you're watching him on a match-in, match-out basis and you're not seeing those incremental improvements, you're not being fair. Yeah, well, this is, I actually haven't seen him in a while because, you know, I haven't been watching Evolve. Well, then you're a great test case. Oh, my case. God, I was, like, so impressed by him in this match. I was like, holy shit, this dude's so much better. I mean, I saw this guy live a bunch of times and always kind of came across like, eh, I don't know, not quite. My God, I, just in the, I probably haven't seen him in maybe two, three months. The difference in him, I was like, the co- you could tell the confidence of him more than anything. This is a guy that yeah. now kind of feels himself a little bit, knows what he's supposed to be doing, doesn't feel like he's like looking around and thinking about everything and and and, and always wondering what the next move is. Like I thought this was far and away his best performance ever, the, far and away the best I've ever seen him perform in the ring. And I was blown away in seeing the difference that he was, you know, two, three months ago compared to today. Yeah, he's had a couple other matches this year that were hovering around, you know, notebook territory, but this was easy for me. Uh, this was four and a quarter. Listen, um, you know, I know people who were there live who went like four and a half, four and three quarters on this based on the live bump. Kevin Hare from our site, he liked it better than we did. He was there live. You know, I'm sure if I was there live, I would have maybe gone a little higher on it with the live bump. But um, yeah, this was a great match and it was the right call. The right guy won. The booking on this show was 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 perfect. I mean, you had to go with theory here. Oh, oh, 100 percent. And they finally unify these uh, the two dopey titles, which is something that they needed to do. And I know they were, you know, saving it for this show, whether it was going to be on the network or not. They were saving that unification for the the uh, 10th anniversary gimmick and all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, the back at look, this was like a traditionally structured pro wrestling show. You know, it's like the, the first half, everything was fine. Everything delivered. And then the back end, everything kicked ass, starting with that tag team title match. And then uh, the main event here, Adam Cole, Akira Tozawa for the NXT title. Uh, I, I didn't love this one only because it just felt like it didn't have a purpose on the show. It, it, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like this match, and I, I, I think I went three and three quarters with it. Like, it was, it was solid. Like, I really did enjoy it, but it just felt like... It felt like the show ended after the Austin Theory match. Like the Evolve show ended, and now this was like, hey, for the live crowd, it's Adam Cole and Akira Tozawa. Like, I don't know. I just didn't feel it as like a part of Evolve 131. Does that make any sense to you? Like, in a perfect world, this goes on before the Austin Theory match because you yes. want Austin Theory to come off like, you know, the biggest star and everything. But Adam Cole, realistically, was the biggest star in the show. And he's over like crazy in every building they go into because he's worked like three or four Evolve shows now. He's basically a regular at this point. And, um, you know, it was an NXT title defense that's on the network. And I get all that. I get, and plus, you want to do the Gargano thing. 
at the end. And then you want to do the Gargano Tozawa, you know, throwback to Dragon Gate USA at the end too, which was nice. So I get it. So that's why it went on last. And I understand that for all those reasons, that's why it went last. But yes, in a perfect world, this goes on in the semi-main event slot. and You give the spotlight to your quote-unquote own guys. So this was a very good match. The problem was I like the other three matches that preceded it better. Right. Well, those all had felt like they had stakes to them, that they all had a purpose on the show. That, that's where I bring this up, that like in a vacuum, this match was fine, but it just didn't feel like a part of the show, like those other three, which felt like important matches. Even the, even the Riddle and, and Gulak, which shouldn't at this point, felt like a callback to Evolve. It was a, the catch point reunion or whatever. So you could buy in that that was the reunion match. And you could buy in the Austin Theory, J.D. Drake, of course, because for all the titles in, in the company. And then, of course, the, the tag match speaks for itself. And then it's like this match for a title that's not defended on these shows, or like you know only loosely defended on these shows. It's Adam Cole, who, like you said, has been there a few times, but doesn't feel like uh, truly to me an Evolve guy. Feels like more of an NXT guy. And Akira Tozawa, who maybe has like a very, very, very loose connection to Evolve, has a little bit more of a connection to DGUSA, but without the DGUSA branding, he's just kind of. So I don't know. It, all those factors worked into me where I still enjoyed the match. I just kind of felt like it, it didn't. It didn't belong with the rest of the show. See, to me, it felt like Tozawa was coming home because he was such a big part of WWN with Dragon Gate USA. But yeah, Cole was never, like, part of the fabric of Evolve or Dragon Gate. Yeah, I mean, he worked at, like, four or five shows there, and then that was it. Very early shows, like, very early shows, too, before it really became what it became. And It's almost like they should have done Tozawa versus Gargano. I mean, because Gargano is Mr. Evolve. And it's kind of weird that he didn't have a match. I was kind of surprised by that, too. You know, and, and I knew he'd make an appearance. And, you know, and, and I put two and two together, and I was like, oh, well, he's going to come out and, you know, fuck with Cole. And um, and that's what they did. But, yeah, it's like Cole is their biggest star now in recent months, but he really isn't part of the fabric of the, of the history of the company. So right. that's, that's why the match came off the way it did to you. I thought they had a very good match, but I didn't think it was as good as the three matches that preceded it. But it was probably the fourth best match on the show behind those three. Not probably, it was. Yeah, right, right. Um, you know, but um, this, it didn't meet my expectations. I, I, Like I said last week, I thought they really had a chance to knock it out of the park. Now, something no one's talking about, okay? I don't know, like, timing-wise, like, his wife was in medical danger at the time he hit the ring. Right. So, and I haven't heard anyone talk about that. And it's not like he went out there and didn't put on a good performance because he did. But she was on the pre-show, which, and, and about two, two and a half hours passed before he hit. There's no question he knew what was going on with Britt Baker when he hit the ring. So you kind of have to consider that too. You know, he had to have that on his mind, you know. His wife, I don't know if they're married yet, but they're going to be married. Are they married? Are they husband? Uh, I think they're just, I think they're just boyfriend, girlfriend right now, but. Okay. But I mean, either way, she's like in a hospital, you know, and, and that had to be weighing on him. So, you know, there's that factor too. So I'm not going to sit here and bury Adam Cole because he only gave me a three and a half star match. I mean, it's, it's fine by me. You know, it was a good enough match anyway. And he had more important things to think about. So, um. You know, I don't want to go. I wouldn't want to go to my dopey job if my wife was. Hell no! Yeah, God no! Are you kidding? Let alone get in a ring and have a fucking you know dangerous wrestling match. Yeah, where I can get hurt too. We don't need two people hurt in the family. Yeah, it's it's. So there's uh, that. I I get it. No, that's a good point. I I hadn't seen many people bring that up, and that's uh, uh, definitely a very good point. So, but uh, but overall, you know, we forgot the Paul Heyman promo, which was just fucking fantastic. Um, He goes out there and just 
has the crowd in the palm of his hands. Oh, yeah. He's Paul Heyman, man. He's the it's, best. Yeah. You know, and, and he knows exactly what to say. And the thing about Heyman is, you know, he's a snake oil salesman sometimes, but he genuinely – A lot of times. But that's all right. I like it. I want that. It's pro wrestling, man. But but it's like I think he genuinely has a soft spot for Gabe Sapolsky. And I do think that there's – obviously Gabe Sapolsky has a ton of respect for him, but I do think that there's legitimate mutual respect between those two guys. And I do think he's proud of Gabe Sapolsky. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, his lineage, he doesn't have much lineage in wrestling. Like Gabe is, is that guy, which is kind of a shame because so many other great bookers of, of, of years past or great owners can speak to you know guys that sort of developed under them or understudied them or learned from them or whatever. And, and, and Heyman, unfortunately for better or for worse, doesn't really have many except for Gabe, who's like the one guy that's done it. And, and, and has been probably the, 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 to me, the best independent wrestling booker in, 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 this entire generation. So, yeah, no, I, I'd be proud if I was Paul Heyman for sure. Heyman's got a lot of wrestlers that are sort of his branch. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Careers that he made and guys that he helped and things like that. But, but you're right. And it's like he said, he's like, hey, man, it's like no one told me to be here. You know, I wanted to be here. That was the essence of his promo. And uh, in that building, too, you know, uh, being there in that building where, where, you know, obviously the ECW arena which looks very different now and is essentially it's not even really the same building anymore. It's just the same location. You know, it's not the same. I know you've never been there, but it's like that old building's gone. It's been renovated multiple times. They closed it briefly. You know, now it's this, uh, but really that's a building that Paul Heyman, he made that building, whatever, you know, now it's this event building that, you know, they hold all kinds of shit there outside of pro wrestling without ECW that, corner of Swanson and Rittner doesn't become what it is now. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, that 23 Arena is never running anything. <laughs> you know, and it, 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 it's like, and and it was all full circle and symbolic with him cutting the promo in that building for Gabe Sapolsky on Gabe's crowning moment, Evolve on the net. It's just, it is a nice show and a nice moment. Absolutely. Well, I think also the moment too, and, and should be understated too, that like him, you know, more assuming some power on Raw or whatnot, you don't think Paul wanted to get on there and make it known that, hey, I'm here. I'm watching these guys. I'm seeing, yeah. like, it's, it, you know, it's doing some selling of his own self, too, of, of saying, hey, look, I'm not that I doubt that he's not watching those shows and knows the guys that are there, but I think it's also a, a good way to sort of make it obvious to, to, to people watching at home and, and to the Evolve audience that, hey, I'm going to be running raw, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, or whatever. And, you know, I'm here watching this and I'm watching the next level of wrestling and all this sort of stuff. So there, there's a little self. As you said, you know, he's trying to get something out of it himself, too, which which is fine. That's what he should do. And Paul Heyman knows what's going on. Don't think he's not intimately familiar with everyone on this show. And he knows all about Austin Theory. Believe me. Oh, yeah. Because he's not a guy who's ever going to get his finger off the pulse until he's completely out of this business. There's a reason he re-announced that match. Because he knew what was, you know, at stake there. That, too. Yeah. And he's a guy who knows, you know, the minute you stop paying attention, you know. So he's a guy who's always going to have his finger on the pulse. Um, and then they closed the show, of course, with Tazawa and Gargano with the did you enjoy the show bit, which you'd have to be an old school Dragon Gate USA fan to appreciate that one. And there's a little bit of uh, a few chuckles uh, seeing Tazawa do Shima's bit since those guys don't like each other because uh, that was Shima's old bit at the end of the shows. Did you enjoy the show? And right. you know, did the crowd salute. You had Tazawa doing it with Gargano, which was a nice way to close things out, too. So. I enjoyed the fuck out of this. I thought every single thing on this show landed from the way they ended it to the Heyman spot, to the production, to the matches. I, I just, 
I have zero complaints about Evolve 131. I don't. Do you have a complaint? I don't have any complaints. Oh, no. The show rocked. When it was done, I said, man, that was the best show of this entire weekend, man. I love this show from top to bottom. This is great. And I, I just, the thing that I made, made me most upset is when I clicked out of it, I was like, oh, man, they're not going to be on the network again for a while. Like, I kind of, it's just so much easier for them to be on the network. I subscribed to it anyway. So it's nothing against somebody in live. It's just like, just easier and, and, and sometimes cheaper for me just to have it all in the same service. I so. play it all. Listen, if they're going to be under the WWE umbrella, I'd rather just have it all in one place. Exactly. Right. Put progress on there. Put this on there so it's a one-stop shop. I'll pay the $14.99 because I'm paying for the other shit anyway. So just put it all in one place where it's all easy to find and easier to watch if you're going to be under their umbrella. I wish they wouldn't take everyone under their umbrella. Don't get me wrong. But that's the reality. So why not just make it easier for everyone and put it all in one place? Absolutely agree. All right. Got about 10 minutes left in the show, Joe. Somehow we are going to cover the G1 Climax. And then I guess uh, during it's Kobe World. Maybe we don't have to do the full uh, preview of Kobe World. We have a, a preview up on the website that you definitely need to read. Uh, our Dragon Gate experts went to, to fucking town. And Mike Spears and Case Lowe did so many articles this week about Dragon Gate, including Ultimate Dragon, uh, Ultimate Dragon coming back and how important that was. Uh, the, the rise of Ben K, how important that was. Just uh, Dragon Gate's last two years, just so much stuff, so much important stuff of what this Kobe world means and, and how important the show is for the company and in and, and a lot of ways. And like you said, the big previews up there as well, uh, voicewrestling.com. So we definitely recommend checking that out. I think briefly before we maybe get into G1, I mean, what are your overall thoughts on Kobe world and then Pac versus Ben K? Is, is this the time uh, for Ben K to win that title? Yes. Got to do it now. I agree. And, you know, um, you know, it's the perfect guy to beat. Pac has protected himself in that title tremendously. He is, to me, the most compelling champion in wrestling right now. And um, I think it, the timing is just right for Ben K. And I think beating Pac right now will do wonders for him, ass- assuming that the match is good. You can't go out there and have a dud match. But I, I don't think Pac will allow that to happen. I think he'll do everything in his power to make sure Ben K gets over. And um, it's going to be fun to watch. And I'm rooting for Ben K. This is a guy that me and you handpicked oh, yeah. many years ago when he was a young boy. And um, hopefully, you know, I, I just feel like the timing is right here. And that will make worldwide wrestling more interesting because then Pac can start doing jobs again. So then when Pac goes to your local indie or works a fucking Rev Pro show or whatever else he does, if he gets his visa cleared up and comes to AEW – it opens things up and his matches cease being predictable. So you got to root for Ben K here for multiple different reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we should note as well for this Kobe world, unfortunately we're not going to be able to do a, a big long preview of it, but hopefully we'll be able to review it uh, next week. Uh, as I said, voice wrestling.com, we have previews and a bunch of other articles up there. Uh, Dragon Gate as well. They're making this show as accessible as possible to English audiences. This is the one time they have a, an English announced crew coming in. They on their, if you follow them on Twitter, they gave a step-by-step process of how English language people can sign up for the network, uh, which again, the Dragon Gate Network has gotten sort of mixed reviews, uh, mostly negative reviews so far. So hopefully it, it works pretty well for Kobe World, but uh, they want English speakers watching this. They see what's going on in New Japan. They see how that's happening and they want to get in on that. So if, if you're on the fence about Dragon Gate, you're never quite sure about it, this is the show to do it. We always say Cobra World is a, bit, a, a great time to jump into Dragon Gate. Well, they're making it accessible for English language people as well, and they're doing it with English commentators too, and and, and people that I think, you know, if, if well, I'm okay, led to let believe, they, they know they're going to know their shit, so. Let me ask you. Go on record. Rich Bocchini, Larry Dallas. Are they going to do well, or are they going to bomb? I think they're going to do well. You know what? 
I wouldn't have said that a couple of weeks ago. I think that Rich Bocini is a pro. I think that he has the harder job because he has to learn everybody's names and he has to learn everybody's moves. Um, Larry has the easier job in that he doesn't have to memorize as much stuff, but he's got to get the stories over. And when I heard Larry Dallas on figure four, did you listen to his interview with Dave? I did. Yeah, I did listen to that. It was great. I thought Larry Dallas knocked it out of the park with Dave Meltzer. And that gave me so much confidence that he can do a good job in that analyst role because he knows what's going on. And with the help that he's been given, I, I, I am confident that they are at least going to be a passable crew. There's going to be road, but listen, Oh, and Dragon Gate's like the toughest promotion to like start. Oh, I mean, move wise, Jesus Christ! <laughs> like Richard, no, he's got a night ahead of him for sure. He does, and it's like Bokini to me has the harder job. And I am so confident. I am way more confident in Larry Dallas now than I was a couple of weeks ago. I know the help that he's getting, and after hearing him with Dave, I'm like, wow, you know, th- he's passionate. Yeah, and that's, that's what matters. About, say what you want about Larry Dallas. The passion comes through. Would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. No, certainly. I mean, he wants to do well. He it's it, he is so happy to be back in Dragon Gate. If you're following him on Twitter or I mean, he he wants he wants to do well. He wants to do well for himself and for the company because he's happy they're giving him another shot. So I'm hoping those two guys do well, and I'm with you. I, I think – look, I don't think they're going to be like – it's going to be some home run broadcast where people are going to be banging down both of their doors. I'm confident that they're going to do an acceptable job, and I'm not sure I would have said that a few weeks ago. Um, as far as the show goes, it is loaded. They loaded this thing. They added KZ Vershun Skywalker this week, and that's a huge match between two of their – you know. Hottest young rising stars. You got Susumu Yokozuka defending the Brave Gate against Flamita, which could be a ridiculously great match. The Twin Gates on the line, the Triangle Gates on the line. My boys, the Machines, they're finally going to get it done, Rich. I'm they are. You. This is the time. This is it. Let's do it. Strap up the Machines. And of course, Ultimo Dragon in a Dragon Gate ring. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That not that more people aren't talking about. Right, and we have an article about just how fucking insane that is uh, as well. Mike Spears uh, did a great piece on that. So if you if you don't understand how insane that is, uh, voicewrestling.com, find that article and you'll see how insane it is that he's in there. Yeah, it, it, it's nuts. It, it's a it's a big big deal. It's a big big show. I mean, it's their fifteenth anniversary show. They're kind of marketing it as as well. Uh, so I'm excited. I cannot wait to watch this one. So I, it, hyped it's, for this. So it's hyped. a shame we couldn't like preview it too much, but I think it'll be a little bit more fun to kind of review it as well next week. So. We I, I listen. We are reviewing this next week. Oh, for sure. No, no doubt. And before the third hour, none of that bullshit, we're reviewing this show next week. Okay? We, it's going to get the time it deserves because this looks fantastic, and I'm, I'm so excited to watch this. So, um, absolutely. Uh, what do we got left? G1, what do we got? Like two Just, minutes? No, G1 Climax. Yeah, we got about five minutes of the G1 Climax here. We can go a little over this week. We'll, we'll ask our, our overlords at Audio Boom to let us do that. But, uh, yeah, kind of big picture thoughts on the G1, of course, as you said, if you want in-depth breakdowns every single day of the G1, voicewrestling.com slash Patreon. You are doing audio reviews every single night after every single G1 show, so uh, you'll definitely be able to get everything you need, all the passion reviews, every little breakdown, match reviews, all that sort of stuff. Voicewrestling.com slash Patreon, $5 tier to unlock all of those, but I did want to just talk big picture stuff, and then we got some fun data from our friends at Grapple about the ratings so far 
uh, this G1, how it compares to other G1s, who's kind of the, quote, MVP so far. Full disclosure, again, we were recording this before or after day six, I should say. Uh, night seven, I think, is going to happen a little bit after this, uh, after we record this. Or, God, by the time we're done recording this, I should, might as well just stay up for it. It's going to be on in a few hours. So just so you know, in case we're talking about letters and their numbers and stuff. And that's what makes it G1 coverage so hard on the flagship is that, like, everything we say is 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 moot by like a day later and hey this guy's got six points and that guy's beating that guy who knows it doesn't matter because by the time uh, some people listen to this it doesn't fucking matter anymore but anyway uh a block kenta and okada at the top at six points so that was kind of interesting uh b block moxley on his own with six points there ishii at four uh in the b block juice robinson shingo takagi toriano all with four points in the b block uh goto taichi jeff cobb Naito all with two, and then Jay White has zero points in the B block. I'll go back to the A block here. As I said, Kenta Nokata tied at the top with six. Lance Archer at four, Evil at four, Bad Luck Fale, Kota Bushi, Will Ospreay, Sonata, and Tanahashi at two points, and Zack Sabre Jr. at zero points. So there's been some fun little booking right now. Again, a lot of the stuff that's going on I don't think is going to hold up very much until the next, you know, right now there's kind of surprise numbers, and Zack Sabre's got zero, and Tanahashi's only got two, and, you know, Moxley's at the top of his block. But there's, I think some stuff's going to kind of regulate there a little bit. But, I mean, I guess overall standings-wise before we kind of get matches, who's really stood out to you and who surprised you so far in terms of, of how well they've done, you know, wins wise, if we're talking about just wins and losses. Well, Saber and White, they, you know, started both of them off 0 3, which is a surprise. So the best they can do is 6 and 3, which means the best they can do going into the final night is 5 and 3 going into their final match, which means if either one of them are going to be a factor on, on, the, uh, on the final night, they have to win out. They have to win their next five. I think they may do that with White. I don't think they're going to do it with Zack Sabre Jr. I think Zack Sabre Jr., his story in this tournament is that he blows every match in the end and then blows a gasket in the back and acts like a crybaby. I think that's his story, which is interesting because we were always trying to figure out who's not going to score points in these loaded blocks. He found a creative way to bury a guy that you didn't think they were going to bury with a low point total. So I don't think he's going to make his way back. Jay White might because he's facing Naito on the final night. So unless they go with Jay White as a spoiler on the final night for Naito, where he's out of it, but he beats Naito to spoil Naito, which will make a lot of people fucking happy if they do that, believe me. <laughs> yeah, that's going to go over real. Yeah, that'll go over tremendously. That's great on the old Twitter.com. I can't wait for that one. Yeah. But I went over that scenario today on the on the behind the paywall. White could spoil Naito sure. to set up an intercontinental title match, and then instead of going to the Tokyo Dome to beat Okada, Naito instead feuds with Jay White over the Intercontinental title all fall. How well will that go over with uh, certain segments of the fan? <laughs> Great. I'm sure I they're going to love it. Uh, you know, but could you – I mean, that's a potential scenario here. Sure, but absolutely. the more likely scenario is Jay White wins his next five and the block does indeed come down to Naito White. But that means, Rich, that Moxley has to lose a bunch of matches now because yeah, he's – Yeah, it's hard to see it right now because he's on top of the fucking world. So, so I mean, he's 3-0 and already. So – he, he has to lose at least three of his next five in order for that Jay White Naito scenario where it's winner move on to take place. So it's kind of tricky from that perspective because now you have to have Moxley lose a bunch of matches. So the B block, that's what's going on there. A block, they've got Kenta off to an incredible start, which, show, which here's what that tells you. They're going to push Kenta hard coming out of this tournament. I don't know what happens from here, but... They've given him huge wins in Dallas and Corican Hall. So, um, you know, he's going to be pushed hard. And the thing about Kenta 
is everyone keeps saying, is Kenta back? Is this Kenta? Is Kenta back? I think we need to move away from that. I think it's like we're all waiting for 2005 Kenta, right? That guy is probably gone. I think we need to forget about 2005 Kenta. Who really is still wrestling the way they were in 2005? I mean, think about it. I think what we need to do is focus on 2019 Kenta. And can this version of 2019 Kenta, with the style he's wrestling now, hang in New Japan? And through his first three matches, Rich, I think the answer is yes. Because we've seen him have three different kinds of matches now. And to me, he's done very well in all three of them, to varying degrees. I thought the Tanahashi match was great, and I thought the Lance Archer match was, was phenomenal. And I thought the Obushi match, he did well in establishing his viciousness. But we talked about that last week. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm fully – I don't know if I'm as in on his matches so far as you, but they haven't been bad. I just think, like like you said, I'm maybe, maybe a little too worried about what he used to be and not more focused on what he is now, which has been fine. Like, I'll, I'll still take this Kenta over anybody. I think it's just a, 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 a possibility of me maybe working myself into a shoot a little bit of expecting, like, these epics, and they're not going to be that. They're just going to well, be very well-worked, solid, good matches. So. Well, here's the other thing. I don't think he's emptied the tank yet. He hasn't had a match to me where I, I don't think he has attempted to go all, all out yet in a match. He's, he's yet to do the Kenta rush. That's right. a big spot. Um, he, he, you know, he won one match with the game over and we haven't seen, we only saw that in one match. So it's not like he's going through, his five moves of doom in every match and going through, he's working every match differently and finding different ways to win each match. It was pounding a into oblivion. It was using the game over against someone else. It was, you know what I mean? It's like, and I don't think he's had a full complete match where he's put it all together. And I think he's saving that. And that's the impression I'm getting off of him. He's finding his footing. He's feeling out this audience and these wrestlers and by the back end of this thing, I think there's going to be one or two Kenta matches that are absolutely out of this world. Will it be Will Ospreay? Will it be Okada? I would say probably Okada. Maybe he meshes well with Zack Sabre Jr. Who knows? We'll see. But there's a lot of opportunity there to have great matches. And I don't think he's emptied the tank. And I think it's time. To me, I'm done waiting for 2005 Kenta. I don't even know if that's fair. You know, it's like, who wrestles the same way they wrestled 15 years ago? Right. You know, and, and I want to see what this version of Kenta could be. And and I think, look, I'm not ready to declare him one of the best in the world right now. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that I, I think that the, the there, I, I've seen, I see the path that he's trying to, to, to form for himself. Or maybe I'm thinking too hard about this, and it's just is what it. But I, you know, I think his matches have been very good. So, but I, but I do think that there's better matches in him, and I and I think also in this block, Lance Archer has just been phenomenal. He's been great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think and and actually, it's, it's kind of supported a little bit by 
uh, the stuff at Grapple, which is kind of cool. That's why we kind of asked them to run these numbers to kind of see what things we're looking at. Uh, average rating across all 30 matches so far, again, days one through six. Uh, average rating is 3.61 for all uh, of the G1 matches. Uh, slightly higher compared to 2018 at this point, which is 3.51 uh, after 30 matches. So we're up, we're up, you know, 3.6 this year to 3.5 last year. So we're up well, a little bit there. Well, be- this is a better tournament than last year. I agree. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely with you. And I think, and they, and they get, you know, the data you'll you'll see it in a bit why it probably is a better tournament than it was last year. Uh, Abushi and Osprey is the top match so far, four point five eight average, which I think is absolutely fair for that match. I fucking love that one. Yeah, uh, it was great. You obviously gushed about it on on Patreon. Uh, despite having a relatively consistent, slightly higher average this year, the matches are absolutely top end. Haven't been rated quite as highly as 2018. So your top top stuff of 2018 was higher, but consistently across the board this year is is, is showing ratings wise on Grapple a little bit better. Would you agree with that? Would you probably say that it's you know the middle ground or everybody's kind of up their game a little bit, even if the top top tier stuff maybe doesn't deliver quite to the level it did last year? Well, yeah, because last year you had Tamatanga, Bad Luck Fale, and Jay White having bad matches. Right. We're going to get to that here in a sec. So that, that definitely uh, – nine matches in 2019 have a four-plus star average uh, compared to eight in 2018. But year, uh, last year, uh, five were over 4.25 on average, where just two have been this year. So, uh, again, like you have a little bit more four-star-plus matches – this year, but you have more last year, 4.25. So a little, again, the higher highs last year, but more consistently across the board this year, which again, I would totally agree with uh, there. Uh, if you did a top seven matches from across the two years, just two of the five would be from this year. So again, you have more top tier up to your stuff. Uh, last year, uh, Naito is a notable absent year to year. However, he started with Yano and Taichi this year, so perhaps not too surprising. But uh, yeah, Naito at this time last year was having some incredible matches. Some ones I think he had the Omega match a little bit earlier in the night uh, in the in the G one last year too. Uh, this year he is down a lot compared to where he was, but that that's justifiable. Yeah, he's with he had Yano it, and Taichi and stuff. Well, the Taichi match was good. He had, but he he had his Yano match. The Yano match is going to bring down everybody in that block. Right, exactly. And, and the Fale match is going to bring down everybody in the other block. So it's not really fair until, you know, everybody faces those two guys. But honestly, I think I, I think Fale has been better than Yano. I mean, I don't, I don't know if people are going to scream at their phones at that. Yeah, point. yeah, that's a fucking terrible take. Yeah, that's terrible. The Fale's Lance, been horrendous. The Lance archer Fale match was better than anything Yano has done. Maybe I'll I'll buy you that. You can I, you need to defend the folly and evil though, and folly and Okada. <laughs> folly and folly and evil was not good. Folly Okada I thought was a perfectly fine three star match, and and again better than anything Yano has done. The Yano matches are three minute, and I'm not complaining because I'm glad they're they are what they are. Right. But they're three minute matches that are all the same. They've all been identical, and and he wins with a roll up. Right. My favorite thing about Yano matches is when they're over. Like I, I enjoy them briefly in the moment, and then I'm just very happy they're over when they're done. So, yeah, I mean, on you know, through the three matches, if I w- let me put it this way, if I can only watch three matches for the rest of my life, and those are the six I'm faced with, I'm taking Fale's three. Oh, what a terrible scenario! God, awful scenario. I'd rather drink bleach, Jesus. God, that's the scenario. You have six matches to watch for the rest of your life. This is and a you choose Bad Luck Folly and Okada to watch for the rest of your life. Unbelievable. You know what I'm saying if those are my only options. I know. I just, I just uh, yeah. You're, you're... You, get, you get the Fale G1 tape or you get the Yano G1 tape. It's <laughs> the only one you can bring to the island. I mean, you're bringing the Fale tape. Probably. I'm not happy with it, but I'm bringing it. 
the Archer match alone. I mean, that was a that was legitimately a pretty good match. That was that was solid. But um, Yano is not going to have a legitimately pretty good match. Uh, just two matches under 2.5 on Grapple's ratings this year compared to four last year. So last year you had Folly and Hangman Page. Juice Robinson, Tamatonga, Sonata, Tamatonga, and Kenny Omega, Tamatonga, that were all under 2.5. This year, you only have Fale versus Okada and Fale versus Evil at uh, under 2.5 average. So, there is no way Fale Okada should be under 2.5. Uh, That's insane. Mm, That's insane. Mm, I'm not saying. Listen, I'm not saying this should be much over, but there's mm, no way that was. I think I think it's very accurately rated uh, no, at 2.4. Not, not but, uh, all right, let's get to MVP. Everybody likes the MVP discussion with G1. So Ishii and Osprey are essentially equal after three matches, 4.27 to 4.25. So Ishii at 4.27, slightly above Osprey. I'm fine with that, too. I think Ishii has been better than Osprey. And not that Osprey has been bad, but Ishii has been just next level fucking great. I mean, he is, he is unfucking believable in this tournament so far. Yeah, he's incredible. You you know, you could flip a coin on those two. Um, I'm looking at it now, and I've got Will in two of my top five matches. I've got Ishii in uh, one, but I have Ishii in three. All three of Ishii's matches are in my top ten. So, um, same for Will, actually. But, yeah, you could flip a coin between those two. Those have been the two best guys in the tournament. Absolutely. Uh, and then Ibushi and Tanahashi are tied in third, 4.09 for both of those guys. Ibushi is dragged down by the Osprey match. Um and Wait, his other two are dragged, dragged. I think pushed up by his Osprey match. I think his others, his other two were under four stars. Sorry, I read that wrong. It's it's late. Yeah, not dragged down by the Osprey match. The Osprey match helped Wait tremendously. A bushy evil is under four. I, hey, look, man. That's mental. I report. <laughs> you know, that's all I'm doing here. I that's stunning to me. That match was great. And all of Tanahashi's has been above four. Per the grapple users, so. Yeah, I mean. The thing with Tanahashi and Zack Sabre is I never really like their matches, but I get that everybody else does. I think Tanahashi makes Zack Sabre Jr. boring. He, like, grinds yes. him down to a halt. Do you agree with that? Like, Oh, I do. Yeah, for sure. The way, the way he he wrestles with Zack Sabre Jr., it, it, it sucks all the life out of Zack Sabre Jr. I, I never like when they wrestle, but I concede that um, you know most other people do. And I didn't have Tanahashi Kent. No, not yeah, Tanahashi Kent I did. And then they, the Okada match. Yeah, he's had a good tournament. Tanahashi, yeah. especially if you like the Zack Sabre Jr. match, which that, that'll know. definitely put it over the top a little bit for you. So that that was interesting. But I, I preferred Kotobushi's output so far. But I I, I could get it if, if you want to took Tanahashi there. But uh, I agree. Kotobushi had uh, the Willow Spray match, which is the best match of the tournament. Uh, the Kenta match, which is pretty good. And what was his other one? It was um, oh the Evil match, which I loved. Mm-hmm. I yeah, that's that's one of my top five matches of the tournament. I thought that was fantastic. All right, so, so I think that's it for the G1. Of course, as we said, we'll, we'll get into more coverage as the, the tournament gets going. Unfortunately, now we're covering it and shows are happening as we're talking about it and stuff. But anyway, if you do want updates on the G1, voiceofwrestling.com slash Patreon. They're always up there for you to check out and listen to. $5 tier unlocks that. In addition to the Boys of Summer, in addition to Joe's All Japan Tag Glory League thing, whatever the fuck, I forget what it's called. It's been a late night. It's 1 a.m. I have to get up in five hours and do another podcast. So anyway, I'm going to sign off. That's Joe. I'm Rich. Bye.